This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Happy Wednesday to you. It's hump day, halfway through the week. We're going to, you know, we're, we're going to enjoy it. Must feel nice to come back to work on hump day. Oh, man, it's such a good day. It's the perfect day to come back to work. Why come back on a Monday? It was a holiday. Why come back on a Tuesday? I was out of town. Come back on a Wednesday. Because the week is almost over. And my son gets home from his LDS mission trip on Friday. So, yes, thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Boy, got a great audience today. Awesome audience. Wow. Okay, sit down, you guys. Got to do a show here. Got to do a show. So much uh, to talk about. A lot of it, just a lot of little stories going on, it seems like. I'm really proud of the kids of Florida. Push them back. It's going to be the children of Florida that are going to break legislature and somehow create a safer school system. It seems fitting. I mean, the people that are often the victims of these horrible tragedies. Somebody's got to do it. And they're, they, kind of, they, they just want a better life. That's all they want. It's, they're just asking for a better life, so they're put, pushing back on legislators. Um, also, uh, I guess uh, sad news, but he was 99 years old. Um, Billy Graham passed away at the age of 99. And by the way, it was in the, I did, it was on, it was in the movie The Crown or the television show oh, really? The Crown. Well, I did not know there, there was a character that yeah. was playing him. Yes, I did not know that he and the Queen had met like that. She was intrigued by his ability to speak in public and to <clears throat> kind of convey that message, and she yeah. couldn't do that and to create passion in people. People, it was funny because on the show, people were concerned that she's meeting with this American preacher, mm-hmm. and like well, you're the head of the. Church of England, what are you doing? You and can't she was do like, that. She was very intrigued by how he delivered his message, how he spoke to people, and so she talked to him. He's been, he's been doing this since Harry Truman. Wow. He has evangelized to nearly 215 million people over six decades. That's, that's quite amazing. May he rest in peace. 99 years young. He's reported to have persuaded more than 3 million people to commit their lives to Christianity, and his preaching was heard in 185 of the world's 195 countries. I mean, this is where you've got to ask yourself, what are you doing with your life? What do you mean? (laughs) Because Billy Graham spent all this time— He may not be the best example to compare yourself to if you're looking for, like, overall success. But it does tell you he's just—he was some country bumpkin, and boom— he just kept pushing his purpose, his mission, and changed the world. That's Such a neat. fun phrase, by the way. I could I could use that every day. What's that? Country bumpkin. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of derogatory, but that's fine. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, he wasn't a big city <laughs> boy. So I, I just think that's really cool. One person can influence so many lives and and do it his way, you know, kind of not to get into Frank Sinatra. Really don't. Um, so wow. here's the deal. You don't like Frank? No, I love Frank. Oh, but okay. his song is "I Did It My Careful. Way," and he was worried I was going to start singing. Oh, okay. I really was because you started opening your mouth, then I realized no, that was a yawn. You're yeah, going for a yawn there. <laughs> anyway, 
It's good to be back with you guys. Uh, let's get to the headlines with Terry. Terry, what else should we be paying attention to? Uh, the satirical website, The Onion. Yes. They have a headline. Says, oh, boy. A study, 90% of Americans strongly opposed to each other. That's good. Nine out of ten. If someone read that, I don't know if they caught the funny part of it. That's but. great. Uh, other news, President Trump announced Tuesday that he is directing the Justice Department to propose a ban on bump stock firearm modifications, which turn legal weapons into machine guns. There you go. Eh, they act like machine guns. They're yeah. not actually machine guns. Bump stocks were a hot topic after the Las Vegas shooting. They were used in that shooting. It seemed like we had a lot of agreement back then. A lot then. of agreement. It sort of died off. Uh, the Justice Department determined in December that it likely does not have the ability to regulate bump stocks without congressional action. Hmm. So he's directing the Justice Department to propose a ban, but it comes down to Congress to have to do something about it. Well, let's, you know what, this is the perfect time to do something about it because we have a big election in November. They have shown no leaning this way, especially during an election year. And again, it doesn't have to be, we don't have to control guns, but we can control things like a bump stock that make guns more dangerous. Sure. Trump's also talking about raising the minimum minimum age for a gun buyer from 18 to 21. Wow. So you can serve in the military, but you can't own a gun. That'd be the... Other hmm. argument. <clears throat> you can drink. Uh, no, hold on. What's the drinking age? 21. 21, yeah. You can't drink, okay but with, you can own a gun. I'm okay with the age restriction. I like that. Yeah. Because right now in Florida, I believe there's. it's on a federal level too, also. At 18, you can buy a rifle. You can't buy a handgun until 21. What? Well, that's because handguns, I guess, are in drive-by shootings and are more... Right. But it seems kind of odd that you can, but you can own an AR whatever. 15, yeah. Well, that makes sense. <laughs> so yeah, you get crazy. somebody. You can get somebody from far away, just not close up. You should make. Should you be able to own a shotgun? If you, that means you're going hunting, generally. Right. Generally, but then there's a these people gun, who yeah. use a gun in a different way. A new poll by uh, Quinnipiac University, published Tuesday, found that a stunning majority of Americans are in favor of more stringent gun laws. A whopping 97 percent. Of all respondents say they were in favor of universal background checks on all gun purchases, while 67% of all respondents say they were in favor of banning sales of assault weapons. Hold on, 97%. That's what they found. Which would be almost all gun owners. Yeah. So we're talking background checks. Support for these background checks practically uniform across all categories, including race, gender, age group, partisan affiliation. there you go. Okay, so let's just do this. If If everybody's on board... Then let's start proposing legislation, and then let's take names for all of the congressional leaders that don't want anything to do with it. Mm. Just make sure we point that out. We'll have to see how that works. Because mm. the problem is people are for it until it gets down to, what about your rights? And well, then they're like, oh, hold on. Let's talk. I mean, yeah. yeah, background checks, but how does that infringe on my rights? And then it gets into kind of this area where people start well, taking sides. Well, wouldn't that and- make – that would make sense. That would be the place that the people that are not wanting this legislation would always just need to create chaos, and then everyone gives up. Right. Come on. We're so bigger than that. These are uh, – teen- as teen- teenagers from Douglas High School were traveling to the state capitol in Florida State House on Tuesday, the uh, legislature there voted down a proposal uh, – on a, a proposed motion – to take up a bill that would ban assault rifles. So it was just the Florida was voting on whether they would have the discussion. I don't know that you need to ban a gun at first. Right. Right now, let's just make every law that we can 
to make it harder with background checks and get rid of something like a bump stock that only a tiny percentage of people actually need because they're disabled. The rest are using it to, you know, to be able to fire their gun more. No. Not a disability. So the, that, that was happening as the kids were arriving. Yeah. They also passed a, a, a uh, amendment or they improved a bill uh, making it so there were police officers in every school in the entire state. Mm. Which I didn't know that was hmm. not a thing. That yeah. happened all the way through when I was in school. Yeah, right. There was always some resource officer walking around. Uh, yeah. This is in Florida? Yeah. Well, yeah. So. It seems like it seems, seems like, like every school across the country needs one police officer in it. Somebody. Just for, you know, that, that school, but also they have that, that influence and that presence in yeah. the school also. Uh, Florida Governor Rick Scott was listed as a featured speaker at the Leadership Forum for the National Rifle Association's May meeting in Texas. The Tampa Bay Times on Tuesday reported that, that Governor Scott's office confirmed the invitation but said no decision had been made on whether he will attend. By Wednesday morning, Scott was no longer oh, yeah. on the list of speakers. He's running for Senate in the state, and it seems like being associated after you had the nightclub shooting, uh, remember the, the nightclub yeah, shooting and yeah. this shooting. May, and the Fort Lauderdale airport shooting. Right. That may work against him when he's running for Senate. Well, and apparently all three of those shootings in Florida that last year were all, they were all on the FBI watch list. So this creates a problem for the FBI. They're probably undermanned, or and under, they don't have enough personnel, or they need to reposition some of the thirty-five thousand that work for the FBI. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> North Korean officials pulled out of a scheduled meeting with Vice President Mike Pence at the last minute. His office said the vice president was set to meet with Kim Jong Un's sister, Kim Yo Jong. And another top official, Kim Yong-nam, the meeting was supposed to take place in secret during the Winter Olympics in South Korea. Uh, they said North Korea dangled a meeting in hopes of the vice president softening his message, which would have seeded the world stage mm. for their propaganda during the Olympics. Nick Ayers, his chief of, uh, Pence's chief of staff, said. But outside observers were almost universal in their assessment that Pence did lose the propaganda skirmish anyway, especially after Pence managed to disrespect every South Korean by not standing when the Unified Korean team entered the Olympic Stadium. Oh, hmm. wow. That's some opinion there. Yeah. Um, now, Pence has mm-hmm. flown to football stadiums Yeah. to sit in the box and wait for the inevitable player to kneel so that he could make a spectacle of standing up and leaving. Right, right. The president, if you remember that whole story, the president tweeted praising Mike Pence for leaving before he actually left the stadium. And they told the media, stay in the van, the media that was following by, uh, the vice president, stay in the van, this is going to be a short trip, or a short stop, right? So all that's going, showing that this is all orchestrated. What do you think about that? Was there an actually a meeting? Is this something that... Yeah, there was. Were they actually going to have the meeting? Was Pence going to sit down with them, or were they just saying they canceled it? And I don't, I don't know. know. It makes it all very fuzzy when you have other incidences where... I mean, it would have... Looked really good if they could have had a meeting and because it would have showed the North Koreans were backing down on certain things. Mm-hmm. So, and that we were open to actually talking yeah, about we're trying. Things. Yeah. Yeah. Instead, we're – no one's talking. No. Maybe he's just trying to get his steps in for the day. Could be. You know, on his Fitbit. No. Less I, meetings means they might more a, steps. There might be a White House initiative on steps. Maybe they're doing like a White House Step Olympics. Right. That's great. And he's competing from the other side of the mm-hmm. planet. Uh, finally, a Georgia woman was indicted Thursday for allegedly claiming to be a federal law enforcement agent to get a discount for her Chick-fil-A meal. 
What? Uh, Tara Marie Solemn of Marietta, Georgia, faces two felony counts of impersonating an officer, according to court documents. Police said the incident happened July 5th. She initially tried to convince a worker at the eatery's drive through window that she was a federal agent. It didn't work, so she went inside. Oh, boy. Uh, so she walked up to the counter of the chicken joint, argued with two managers, and uh, uttered expletives with an earshot of a few children, according to the warrant. Uh, Cops said that she flashed a silver badge and a black wallet to the managers to try to prove she was a federal agent. She stated that she was undercover and that for them to ask her to be in uniform would blow her cover and possibly get her killed. Because, you know, she's undercover. undercover. Uh, Solemn called the restaurant chain corporate office to complain and gave them, uh, her name is Agent Solemn, so... At some point, she changed her story, saying that she was actually an agent for the Georgia Bureau of Investigation, known hmm. as the GBI. Uh, the officer wrote the lesser known GBI. The officer wrote in the warrant that GBI said they had no record of such an agent. Wow! See, I worked at In and Out Burger for three and a half years. Were you and, an undercover agent? Uh, I will not disclose that until after my demise. Yeah. Um, so. We would get cops coming through all the time, and I can't remember if it was a 50% discount or if we just gave them a free meal. I think it was a free meal. Free meal. And I re- I highly doubt that any official with, with that's a police officer or government employee would throw that much of a stink up about free food. Well, they would just say, okay, I'll just, I'll just pay. I mean, you could see it if it were donuts. Why? Just because those are specially good. But, you know, as Jim Gaffigan points out, you know who else loves donuts? Absolutely everyone. Yeah, yeah. that's true. It's a great point. Yeah. Um, Solid yeah, logic there. You can't – you don't You don't want to make a stink about free anything. No, i just be gracious when it happens. Yeah. That's the – I mean, that's I the big – I always act surprised. Like, what? Yeah. Are you kidding me? For me? Yeah, that kind of thing. That's the big tip-off that they're not really a cop as if they're – swearing at you because you didn't give them a discounted meal. Yeah. Within earshot of children. Right. Uh, and if she was so worried about blowing her cover, why would she bring why would she be bringing that much attention to herself? Um speaking of attention hmm? to yourself. Um what's going on with the <laughs> Olympic team, the US Olympic team? Largest yeah. Olympic team ever gathered for the United States, mm. I guess in a winter Olympics. Yeah. And they're having trouble bringing the medals home. Mm. Lindsey Vaughn. Not enough doping. Yeah, but that's illegal. The, the Russians have, or yeah, the, the team from Russia that's yeah, not right. actually from the Russian team, but you know what I mean? They have more medals, I think. Norway has 33 medals. They're leading the race. There's, Germany, 24. There's a lot of snow in Norway. Canada. A lot of snow in Canada. Oh, Canada. Canada has an entire northern part 21. that's unused. That's where they train. I know, but there's a lot of snow in the U.S. Not really. Uh, the U.S. has 16. We trail Canada by five medals. Mm. Not that we're just counting medals, but we are. But uh, Lindsey Vaughn, who was supposed to win her, her this race to get the gold, she mm. comes in third. Well, she got a medal. Yeah, got a bronze. It's her last race ever, right? Probably ever. Yeah. It's just they're struggling. The U.S. men's hockey team. Wah, 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 wah. Well, we left the NHL home. Yeah. They decided not to go. Yeah. But so the amateurs went out and got smacked around. Still, we just need to get tougher hockey players. It's the biggest Winter Olympic. The team women, the women are, are playing so for the gold medal. I know that's cool. Yeah, makes you wonder when, um, like maybe there's going to be a big push at the end, and they're going to, you know, maybe a lot of the medals we're still waiting for. Didn't they just win the cross country 
race or some race they won that was some huge upset. I didn't see that. What about yeah. the biathlon? I love that. That is, I think, one of the most, ex- I don't know, interesting and exciting. Ski and shoot? Uh-huh. Yeah. They they actually are skiing with guns on their back. While Meanwhile, in the United States, we're talking about we need more legislation on guns. Didn't James Bond do that in about half of his movies? Did he? I don't think he ever got a medal for it, though. No. He also slid. He, he admitted uh, snowboarding, though. He went down on a mountain on a cello case too. He yeah. did. He did. That happened in the eighties. Actually, I used the cello as like a an, an, a to steer. Well, I think actually, <laughs> kind of cool. They blew, I, it, I think that is a new. I think that's a new um, event at the Olympics. Downhill cello Downhill case. Downhill cello sledding. Nice. Yeah, it's good. It's hard to do it without breaking the strings, though. Yeah, I always take my strings off when I play cello on the hmm. slopes. <laughs> Um, anything else going on, guys? What I mean, I know you missed me yesterday. So you came back to basically this infested studio. Terry and I, it sounds like, are coming down with something fierce. I know, and I'm I, I already have a sore throat, and I'm thinking because mm. I think it's because I was on an airplane with a bunch of people wearing masks. Hmm. Speaking of masks, I kind of look like a raccoon as well. Yeah, what's up with that? I don't know. I've never had this issue before, and now it looks like somebody put, like, pink makeup on binoculars, yeah. and I put the binoculars up to my eyes. Yeah. You know, the old little rascal's trick? It, you look like a little rascal. In fact, Terry even called you that today. Really? You little rascal. Hmm. So it's, it's a tanning bed? Is that what it is? You'd... No, no. I'm going with summer or winter heat in Utah. Dry heat. You're you're drying out, and you've got very delicate, sensitive eyelids. Hmm. Yes, your eyelids are soft. You remember how I had grandma's ankles? You have grandma's eyelids. <laughs> really sensitive, uh, delicate skin. And then you rub your face on your pillowcase, and it just sucks up all the moisture. And it wicks everything away from you, and now you're just a raw... Kind of husk. Husk. Husk of an individual. Husk mm. is a great yeah. word for it. So anyway, that's the doctor's diagnosis on that. And by the way, I got on an earlier flight. It's amazing how these airlines work. They fill everything up, and then they beg people to not fly with them. It turns into an auction. <laughs> and yeah. then it turns into an auction, and then they resell those seats to the highest bidders. Hmm. It's a racket. But we paid for it to get home early because we found out – we did a reveal. My daughter did a reveal on her twins, and we have a son, a boy, and a girl coming for grandchildren. Whoa! One of each. Congratulations! Thank you. Thank you very much. Did very little to earn that. <laughs> but that's I, like it's a great accomplishment. It's I know a great I accomplishment. But I will now have two granddaughters and a grandson. <sighs> Such a big deal. Mm. And my kids all worked together, and the house was really clean when we got home. And really? the walks were all shoveled. Did you check under the rugs? Yeah. In no, the it, closets? No, everything looks great. It's amazing. Okay. Our kids are maturing. It's a beautiful day. Anyway, uh, that's it. Uh, let's get to our, our guest. Uh, up next, we're going to be talking about, is there a constitutional right to education? Should you, is that a right? We'll be talking about it. This is the Matt Townsend Show.
Although a public school education is something every student in America is entitled to, it's not a constitutional right. Uh, Would this make a difference in America's educational standards if it were to become federal law? Here to speak with us today and talk about it is Derek Black, a professor of law at the University of South Carolina School of Law. Uh, Professor Law, thank you so much for your time and being with us today. Well, thanks for having me on. Now, this is uh, this is something I have not I, I haven't thought of before. I, I guess a lot of states or most states would have a state law on the right for education for their people, but it's not necessarily a federal law. Is that right? That's right. Our our U.S. Constitution doesn't say anything about education, so there's no specific language there. And people have came up with lots of reasons why they think the court should imply or recognize a you know a right to education even though it's not in the constitution but uh, but the court has never done that before hmm. now talk for the for the rest of us that that don't understand why it would need to be a stated right help us understand legally why what's the difference what would be the difference if we, if it was stated in the constitution yeah well so I maybe just even make that general distinction. So we've got our, you know, our basic bill of rights or the right to free speech, free association, and, you know, those sorts of things to be free from the unreasonable searches and seizures. So we have these rights that are written down in the Constitution. The court always enforces them. But then we have these other rights that are sort of interpretation. So the 14th Amendment entitles us to liberty. Well, what does liberty mean? Mm. And so the court has to, you know, does that mean privacy? Does that mean the right to procreate? Does that mean the right to marry? And so, you know, the court has to imply, or the court does, uh, you know, reason that there are other rights included in our Constitution that aren't specifically stated because, you know, they fit within some other word. But the court has never has never found that education fits, you know, in one of these words like liberty or property or pursuit of happiness or anything like that. Interesting. And then does it become, I guess, um, without it specifically stated, and then then people, uh, attorneys or, or lawsuits would have to go infer that that's part of the right. And so far, I guess none of the none of the lawsuits have worked. Yeah, I mean the court just keeps saying you know that the that the word education doesn't appear there, and they say we understand it's really important and maybe one of the most important things that that citizens have, but. The importance of a right uh, is not the basis upon which the court's going to say the Constitution protects it. Right? So importance does not equal protection, as hmm. the court says. And what they're really looking for is, you know, is this right grounded in the Constitution in some way? And so since it's not, um, you know, when people challenge, you know, school funding problems or inequalities, the court applies a very low level of, of scrutiny that says, look, as long as the school or the state has a rational reason for what they're doing, uh, it doesn't matter if it creates inequality. And that's sort of the way it goes in federal court. Um, the only exception to that is if, if there's some intentional discrimination, like if they're trying to discriminate based upon race or religion, the court would look at that carefully. But just, you know, just the fact that folks are getting unequal opportunity, you know, doesn't really raise the eyebrows of, of any federal court. Yeah. Uh, and and then I guess if um, if it's not uh, like in the Constitution, I guess many of our policymakers, if it were in the Constitution, many of our policymakers would then, I guess, feel more forced to, to watch tax policy, watch spending policies when it comes to, to ensuring this right. Yeah, that, that that's exactly right, that you know, they'd have to worry about whether, you know, people are having schools funded in 
incredibly differently across the state, and and that is the case. Um, you know, if you look across the nation, uh, we spend on average about two thousand dollars less uh, per pupil on poor students than we do on everyone else. Yeah. So, um, so there's a pretty big gap there, and, and the reason why that happens is you know poor students live in poor neighborhoods, and you know the state says, well, you know, you've got to most states say you're going to you know, raise all your money locally, and we're not going to help you with that. And so it, it produces these very wild uh, variations in terms of school funding, uh, for instance. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, you cite in one of your in your article, like the difference where New York may pay eighteen thousand dollars per student, um, Idaho's paying five thousand or five thousand dollars per student. Um, but, but I guess too that would also mean certain groups of people might have less access because it's costing more to to provide education. You're trying to, I mean, by by suggesting it was if we could get it into the constitution, the federal constitution, it would it would probably increase the likelihood of equality of opportunity. Yeah, that yeah, that's right. And there's 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 two. So first of all, I mean, the difference between states. Some of that is. Is based upon geography. It obviously costs right. more to buy stuff in New York, but you know, as I point out in my article, that doesn't actually explain the extent of the difference. Right? Some states try hard to fund education. Some yeah. states don't try very hard at all, and geography doesn't explain that. But uh, yeah, if we had a constitutional right, I mean, there's two ways to look at that. It could, it could, it could force a state within a single state to at least treat folks equally. That would be one result, or we could talk about a constitutional right that says everyone is entitled to a minimum baseline of education. Everybody doesn't have to get the exact same thing, but everyone has to get an adequate education. Mm-hmm. Right? And and we don't we don't have any federal law that that requires that. So that would be important, right? It would it would basically uh, tell states, look, you have to exert some particular level of effort. You can't just leave kids to sink or swim. You you need to provide certain opportunities. Is um, I guess because states do pick up this, and um, I'm not sure if it's actually in the state constitutions, but uh, more states for some reason have picked it up. Is it just too hard to make something uh, to to do a constitutional amendment and to and to make it uh, a, a part of the constitution federally? Well, so I mean, there's two things going on. You're correct about the state constitutions. Uh, in fact, all state constitutions uh, do have an education provision. So all the states out there have these mandates and, and 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 language requiring states to do specific things. And you know, there's been a lot of success in in, in some states, uh, but it's been inconsistent. And 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 one of the reasons, maybe why it's inconsistent, is that uh, it's tough for a state judge to tell a state legislature to to do something hmm. um, for technical reasons I won't get into. I would just say one, one obvious example is, you know, like in South Carolina, our state Supreme Court justices are actually uh, elected by the state legislature. So it's kind of hard for our state Supreme Court to be too tough on the legislature for not doing its job when they know that the state legislature can fire them. So... <laughs> Or not elect them, or what what have right. you. Uh, and so, you know, there, there's that problem, and there's other states where you know the people elect judges, and if there's enough people that are mad about tax increases to fund equal education, then you know they they may run against them or what have you. So, you know, we have we have those problems, and and a federal constitutional right to education would sort of eliminate some of that politics, and would just say, look, 
you know, federal judges are, you know, elected for life and not as, not shouldn't be at least as subject to sort of political, political pressures as some of our state judges are. When, when you look at this as an educator, somebody that studied it deeply, what, what do you see was the original intent of the founding fathers when it came to education? Yeah, I mean, I, that's sort of all of my recent work has been looking at this. And I was sort of blown a bit away by what I found. Um, you know, the early stuff at the founding of the United States seems kind of obvious. You know, we have people like Jefferson and Washington talking about how important education was. And we had some of our early states like Massachusetts, you know, in the, in the 1780s passing education clauses. So we saw this commitment, but, you know, public education really didn't get off the ground, um, you know, in, the, in that early period, the late 1700s. Um, but there was just we want it, but we don't have it. But what really changed was after the Civil War, uh, immediately after the Civil War, uh, we had this huge disparity between the North and the South. That uh, illiteracy rates in the South were, were four times that of the North. And this is just amongst whites, not even including African Americans. And of course, African Americans, it had been a crime for them to read uh, during uh, slavery. Oh, wow. yeah. And so Congress is looking at this region where Watts have high literacy rates, and we've got these brand-new citizens uh, who are actually a majority in states like Mississippi and South Carolina that are getting ready to go to the ballot box, right? And they want them to know how to read, and they want them to understand how government works and all of that stuff. And so what Congress did, and, and this history has just been glossed over, when Southern states were being readmitted to the, to the Union, Congress said you've got to do three things. One thing is you've got to let African Americans vote. If you don't, we won't let you back in the Union. Number two, you've got to ratify the 14th Amendment. It's for a new amendment to become part of the Constitution, you have to have a certain percentage of states vote and say yes. And we, they needed the Southern votes for the 14th Amendment, which guarantees equal protection and stuff like that. And the third thing they said is you, you've got to provide public education. And if you don't do it, we're not going to let you back in. Mm. Um, and and that actually became even more explicit across time. So uh, in 1868, the 14th Amendment becomes part of the United States Constitution. And there are still three southern states that haven't been readmitted. It was Texas, uh, Mississippi, and Virginia. Mm. And Congress, in the, in the piece of legislation readmitting them, specifically said um, that those three states – shall never change their education clause or treat African Americans differently. And so I look at this history, which has largely been ignored, and said, look, you know, Congress is, 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 is making a big statement about what the basic rights of citizens are, and education and voting are at the very top, and they're special. And the reason why Congress was doing this is there's provision in our Constitution that says that Congress must guarantee to every state a Republican form of government. That doesn't mean Republican in a political sense. That means you know citizens get to get to engage in self-government. That's basically what it means. And so I make this argument that Congress said voting and education are necessary for self-government. And when it forced that on the states, it also, as a practical matter, defined what the rights of citizenship are. Hmm. Right? They require voting and, and education. And so I make the argument that. In, the 14th Amendment itself specifically guarantees citizenship and equal citizenship. And so I make the argument that implicit in the idea of equal citizenship is voting and education. So that that's the wow. argument I've been making. That's actually – and so 
Can, can you see a day that this uh, either gets pushed up again to the Supreme Court where this argument might be made, or is it still going to have to be more of a legislative approach? Well, I think that I think there are a lot of people that were optimistic about that a couple of years ago. Um, you know, they thought there that the composition of the Supreme Court might might change. Uh, there might be a few people that were more susceptible or more amenable to this argument. Um, you know, given the recent appointments, uh, people are, are less convinced of that. Hmm. Um, I, I don't want to be – I'm naive in a lot of ways, but because the arguments that I'm making are really saying um, that this is an original – this is the original intent of Congress. This yeah. is actually what we tried to do in 1865, and this is different than some sort of fancy modern ideas that 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 you know um, liberal scholars come up with, uh, which I guess I could be accused of being. But my argument is this was the original intent of Congress hmm. that no state shall enter the union without providing for uh, a public education system that treats everyone equally. And I also point out that. After 1868, which is when the 14th Amendment was enacted, no other state ever entered the Union without an education clause. Before 1868, there were a lot of states that didn't have them. So I I make this argument. It's this magic moment in time where we redefine what citizenship means. And so I'm not asking, you know, I wouldn't be asking the Supreme Court to make up something. I yeah. mean, look, just just do what Congress said in 1868. That's interesting. Uh, what would you suggest to the rest of us, Derek, while we're waiting for this? Um, but if, if we really do want to push education and the importance of education more to the forefront, what does the average citizen need to do? Well, you know... I don't. I don't want to push push politics. I know people have lots of different views about charters and vouchers, and I'm not per se anti charters or vouchers. But I, but I would say this, which is, if if we do have this idea that a that a public education system brings us all together and makes our democracy work, and if we believe that the folks in 1868 were right about that, we ought to be really careful about any policies, uh, supporting any policy that that threatens our traditional public school system, or suggest that, you know what, maybe we can all go into our own little silos and get our own little education in the way we want it and develop our own little ideas. I mean, I certainly agree that we as humans have the right to pursue our own individual interests. But when we're talking about the reason why we have public education, it's to build a stronger community and a stronger democracy. So um, so the short answer is, I think we can't, we cannot back away from a full commitment to our public education system, hmm. and you know that happens in lots of different ways, and we don't notice it because we're so concerned about ourselves as individuals. But I think we need to think about the vibrancy of our democracy as well. Yeah, good stuff, Derek. Thank you so much for your time, your interest, and uh, just your research on this very important topic about right to education. Should we have it? Is that is it a universal right? And uh, it's not on the federal level. States have already, you know, made that happen. Um, but maybe it's time we, we make it a federal issue as well. Boy, so much to learn, isn't there, about uh, just the basic rights that you have and where we, you know, where what we say value we value and what we say is important to you is usually where the money goes as well. So it's why uh, you kind of need the right and the left hand to work together. We'll continue the journey, folks, doing what we can to help everybody uh, reach a higher level of life and living. This is the Matt Townsend Show. 
Welcome back. You know, we talk a lot about education. It's is it a right? Is it a is it an obligation? What is it? But really, it seems like it's about getting the best job you can, getting the learning you need to be a part of the culture, a part of our country. But there's uh, there's other ways that you can learn these lessons as well. And uh, Terry's got a little uh, a little lesson plan for us. Time Magazine on their uh, website. Yeah, time.com. Time.com. Uh, Ten tough job lessons worth learning by the age of thirty. Okay, so so job lessons. You're you're just talking about you get an education, you get a job, then you go out there to get that job, and some of the things you've either heard or been built up in your mind aren't necessarily true. Oh boy, there's yeah. failures that happen. There are lessons that you learn and move on. So true. Um, the number one they have here is your dream job is a dud. <gasps> Right, so, so you, you think like you found the perfect job, but then it's not. So I good. well, I always have people that say, "Yeah, I really just want to be a television talk show host," and you're like, "Well, good luck with that." Do you like to talk? No, I hate it. I hate no, people. I hate people. I hate talking, and I hate television. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this one, uh, they give an example of a uh, pharmacist. She's 28, scored a pharmacist position right out of school. Wow, right? yeah. So she, which is kind of hard at times, but she found a job. She, her attraction to the job was the breadth of impact I could have, but there was no time to focus on the individual customer. Right, she's just pushing pills. Yeah, and it just turns into a machine. And so the whole point was she wanted to have this interaction with people and help them, and she can't because that's not the job. Well, and I always thought that would be a fun job because you'd be at the supermarket and everyone would get – you get to talk to everyone. And, but really, no, you're just like 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50. There's 50 pills. So she had to you know, switch jobs and find something with her training that would uh, you know, allow her to do what she wanted to do. And that took some – Now searching. she's selling drugs on yeah, the street. Yeah, now she's, <laughs> she's like a salesperson. But she gets to talk with uh, – as she says, now I'm able to speak to fellow small business owners. And, oh, okay. Mm, that's yeah. nice. So, I mean, it, it's, it's trouble. Yeah. It, no, but you got that's, – that's one of those experiences. You got to learn the lesson. Uh, you didn't adequately prep for an interview. Oh, yeah. I felt that one. You walk in, you're like, I have no idea what you guys are doing. Yeah. Been there, done that. Mm. So you try to I fake it till you make yeah. it, and that doesn't really work at times. And you can see when the, the interviewer with me, like she had a book open and she was taking notes and then closed the book, and then we just started talking about my other job that I used to have. And see, I'm like, this isn't productive. This is the thing. I've realized in my old age, I'm not uh, – I'm not a schmoozer like I used to be. Mm. Really? So th- when I was away on this trip, You seem very schmoozy. No. Really? Uh, because schmoozy is kind of nonstop. You've got to work your clients and schmooze them and wine and dine them. And I don't wine nor dine mm. very well. Well, you right. wine quite a bit on the show. I... That's a different wine, I think. Mm. I think I'm Number three is you were too eager to say yes. Yes. So you get a new job, yes. you want to have a good impression, you say yes to everything, and all of a sudden you can't deliver because you just right. took on too much. There is a point. you got to just say no. We need you to work 100 hours a week. Sure. Yes. I mean, 100. Why not 200? <laughs> well, that won't work for us. Uh, four was you got passed over for a, pr- a promotion or uh, you were laid off. That happens. Bad. Yeah. I've been there. These are all lessons we need to learn. You have a nightmare boss. Oh, I've never had that. Have I had that? I've had a couple that were were tough bosses. 
Like yeah. when they'd walk in the door, you're like, oh, because they're going to make you do Great. a bunch of things. The boss right? is here. But also, I only saw them like twice a month. There oh, you yeah. go. So that was great. Our boss is great. Are oh, you yeah, only you saying have... that because you see him twice a month? Yes. Okay. You have, you have to put that in there when you talk about bosses. <laughs> oh, our boss is awesome. Uh, you score a high-paying job and you hate it. Uh, so you feel stuck, right? You finally you... make it to the big league and then you're like, I don't want to do this. So then you have to figure out how do I make it work. And that's when they talk about either the um, associations at work. Yeah. You like the people, therefore it kind of compensates for the the work being a drag, or what's the end benefit of my work? Who does it That's benefit? when Jeff started playing softball for the team, the the BYU broadcasting team. Oh, right, right. I gave my blood, sweat, and tears to that team. And they still lost. How much – and then, then at some point you have to look at it and say, how much does money actually mean right, to me? What's right. the importance of that? Can I back off, get something I enjoy more, and yeah. live with less? Great, great question. There's a there's a, another question you should ask is how much would I pay to have this whole experience again? Mm. Mm. So one of the ways you know that it's not something you want anymore is if you wouldn't pay to go have the same experience, like then you probably are done. Wow. Okay. It's kind of scary, but real. Uh, seven was you covered up a mistake when you should have come clean. Instead of trying to wish away an error when you do finally fess uh, yeah. up, recommend making no excuses and placing no blame. I had a job where my actions, I was the only person doing this job. Oh, boy. So you right? were totally responsible. So it was totally me. And I remember like listening to myself as I made a mistake and somebody came in and said, you did this. And I went, no, I didn't. And I'm like, well, I'm right. the only person that does this. Of course I did. <laughs> And the, the, my boss yeah. looked at me and said, listen to what you just said. Nobody else does this job. You're the only one who does this task. Who else would have made the mistake? And I went, good point. So from that point, point on, whenever I, somebody said something, I would just say, okay, how do we fix it? Yeah. Just move on through yeah. the conversation. Get past the, That's good. The, the, what, the instinct to protect yourself and preserve yourself. That's what's just, bad with radio because they can just replay it. And they're like, well, you're the one that said it. Yeah, you're right there. <laughs> it wasn't me. I, <laughs> no, that was Jeff. Jeff sounds just like me. Uh, you blew a big presentation. Uh, yeah. Matt, you've done this constantly. I mean, yeah. in the past. I don't know that I've ever blown a presentation, but I've been less than prepared for certain presentations. Ooh. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's just, oh, there's nothing worse than that feeling, that you could have done it so much better. Mm-hmm. And somehow what you did was yeah. lacking and there's no way to fix it. And Oh, that's bad. This says, this says just own it and decide how you could do it differently next time. Yeah. What else can you do? I must have done that quite a bit in school because I still to this day have dreams that there's a class I didn't go to all semester or I'm in a play and I don't remember any of my lines. Oh, wow. Then yeah. the others, I'm falling down an elevator shaft and losing my teeth. <laughs> Always losing <laughs> your teeth. very personal. Uh, nine, your friends or enemies with the wrong coworkers. Yes. You're friends with the wrong guy in the office yeah. and you're kind of connected to maybe some bad habits, behavior, personality, whatever. Or you're enemies with the person that probably has the most influence on your job. And This oh. is like Survivor. Yeah. Totally. Forming alliances. No, totally. 
It says it's not always easy to spot the good eggs from those who are insincere or who would have a bad reputation that could tarnish yours. And if yeah. you've made the professional enemy, their impressions could come back to haunt you later in your career. There you go. Oh, so that's... letting your guard down too much in the workplace presents a challenge, but also a great opportunity to ref- uh, redefine who you want to be professionally moving forward. And it, you don't know. You just walked in. Yeah. I don't know. I'm new here. Next thing you know, you're you know out in the trunk of some guy's car. That's how it ends. <laughs> uh, and finally, you disagreed with your boss in the open. Uh, so you're in front of everybody and you disagree. And I I think I did that once. Yeah. And then I got dressed down in the hallway in front of half the building. Yeah, that was funny. Yeah. I didn't talk to my boss for about nine months. <laughs> I'm going to go do my job and go home. And if I'm you need to talk gonna... to me, I'm over here. I'll be over here doing my job that gets me in trouble. That was the thing I was taught in my managerial training classes that I took is you always take the employee aside privately and discuss if there is a problem or if there's a a behavior that needs to be changed. You don't do it in public. No. You don't shame them in front of her. Likewise, the employee, you challenge your boss in that way, you're, you're undermining the boss. See? So you got to kind of balance this out and figure out the best way to, to have a disagreement that's usually in private. Oh, that's good stuff. Good stuff. See, these are the lessons we give you right here on the Matt Townsend Show. And we will continue the joy more straight ahead. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143. Hey, in the here's not here's what you shouldn't be doing file. Uh, boy. Unbelievable story coming out of Philadelphia. Chinese are angry. The authorities are livid over the theft of a thumb from a 2,000-year-old terracotta warrior that was on loan to the U.S. Museum, calling the perpetrator to be severely punished. They don't want him just to be fined. They want him punished. The ancient statue is valued at $4.5 million, considered a priceless part of China's cultural heritage. And uh, some guy walks in and just says, I think I'll take the thumb. Isn't it a thumb for a thumb? An eye for an eye? I think, yeah. But I don't know if that translates from a clay thumb to a human thumb. Yeah, I think that's the problem. Okay. Uh, Delaware resident Michael Roana was arrested last week, U.S. officials said, accused of stealing the thumb in December during an ugly sweater party hosted by the museum. (laughs) During the event, Rowana and a few of his friends entered the closed terracotta warrior exhibit. And after his friends left, Rowana took a selfie with one of the statues, according to the surveillance footage and court documents. He then put his hand on the left hand of one of the warriors and snapped something off, the document said. Rowana pocketed the warrior's thumb and took it home with him to Delaware that evening. They should take the entire Terracotta Warrior and divide it by that $4.5 million. Oh. So they should figure out how much that thumb is worth. That's unbelievable. Have you seen the Terracotta Warriors? Yes. It's amazing. Yeah. I mean, they've, they, yeah. And none of them are the same. They're all different. So that's he right. really broke off a thumb that's truly unique. So Rowana is, he's in a lot of trouble. The FBI has asked uh, Rowana to hand over the thumb, which he did. And now, you know, now there's going to be a, a trial. And hand over your ugly sweater. And for wanna, heaven's sake, I want to win at the company Christmas let's party next year. Not ever have another party like that. Oh, just unbelievable. What people, they just don't, I guess, I don't know, no one's thinking. Not thinking. Uh, well, 
you know, thumbs up to the FBI. And maybe the Chinese are right here. Let's let's get serious about this. Anyway, we're doing what we can to help you find the good in the world. This is the Matt Townsend Show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. Dr. Matt here along with Jeff and Terry. The gang is gathered. And yes, Marco Rubio. He shows up. Boy, uh, you got to praise these kids. They got a lot of heart doing everything they can. Again, others are thinking, whoa, it's a conspiracy. Somebody's organizing these children, putting them on buses, shipping them to Tallahassee. But whatever the case, their voice is being heard. Uh, th- those would be the students that were um, the victims uh, and uh, you know everyone else, uh, members of the student body where that shooting took place, 17 died, and they went and faced their legislators. Which is, I think, fantastic. I don't buy into the fact that these are plants put there by the NRA. Just because it's difficult to get kids that age to do anything, to take out the trash, you know. <laughs> but they would be they would be uh, put in by the anti-NRA, right? Yes. Yes, that's what I meant. But that, yeah, you're right. I mean, yeah, how do you get the kids? Except that's why I think they're but, motivated. But They've got a George, voice. George Clooney. Yeah. His no, but see now others. Uh, yeah, others are throwing money at it, but. These kids are still showing up and their parents. And by the way, then Marco Rubio gets invited to be on this panel on CNN and he shows up. Right. And and that's I mean, a, from the beginning, tough. you knew he was just going to get yelled at. Oh, yeah. yeah. And it wasn't I mean, that was the other thing I liked about it. It, it wasn't just yelling and screaming. I'm yeah. so, Some of these town halls in the past you've seen where the the uh, the representative shows up and no one can even talk because people are just yelling. Right. And there was a conversation. I mean, they talked. There was one point where the NRA spokesperson, they asked her a question. She started answering. And then the, 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 the student that asked the question says, excuse me, excuse me. Remember, the question I asked was this because oh, the wow. NRA person was just Clarified filibustering, it, yeah. right? And so it was just – and she goes, well, I'm, I'm trying to explain that. And she goes, well, then explain it. Don't talk about all this. you know." And so it was kind of testy that way. But they were trying to keep the NRA person on point yeah. instead of just wandering around and talking. It's a big so, deal. This is – this really is a great way for students to learn about the process. There was some uh, – little conflicting with the uh, sheriff of Broward County who was there. Oh, really? And the spokesperson for the NRA about policy and who gets to decide what is gun laws and those types of things. Interesting. So, yeah, it was just kind of uh, – it was a good conversation. The criticism from it is what's going to come out of this. Right. Watch any politician try to ban automatic – or, excuse me, semi-automatic weapons and just watch them not get elected is how that ended up working. There was a very direct you – know, it's, it's, it's not the time to – go that drastic, but there's some moves that can be made. Do you remember what Rubio said when he was confronted um, by one of the teens about, will he agree that he'll never accept money from the NRA? Yes. Hmm. What did he say? He said, some groups buy into my message. Oh, interesting. Something of that nature. Yeah. And and he's like, so you're telling us you're never going to, you know, you're, you're going to accept that kind of money, and he wouldn't say no because that's how the game's played. You have to have money to run or you can't right. run. 
or they'll throw money against you. Yeah. Which is would be double down loss of your money. That's powerful. These kids are doing what they can. And again, what will come of it? Well, uh, President Trump even met with another group. He it almost was it felt like it was a counter program situation because he was invited to the CNN uh, uh, town, town hall, hall last night. He declined and held his own listening session at the White House. And it wasn't clear if they're going to have people from Florida there or who, but they had students and parents. Yeah. They had um, uh, uh, parents of Sandy Hook children that were oh, killed wow. that were there. And so it was really, and he just sat there and listened. Uh, the people made a big deal about he had talking points in his yeah, hands. Yeah, he could read but, his points. I mean, everyone's going to walk out there with some sort of idea what to say. Yeah. They gave him, he had some. And, and if you read the things on there, it was stuff like, how can I make you feel safe? How can we help you yeah. in this situation? I hear you. Yeah. And so just different – I mean, and the, I mean, you can't criticize what was on the no. paper, right? Uh-huh. Well, it seemed like he did, a, he did a good job there. Yeah. I mean, this could go wrong in so many ways. So he's, he showed restraint. He yeah. listened during the listen meeting. That's good. It was good. And again, teaching the kids, this is how you change something. Now, the the deal, I think, is the pressure would have to stay on. Mm-hmm. This level of pressure would have to continue through November. Then you might have something happening because they've got to be terrified. Nobody wants to face any of these victims and say, yeah, well, I like my guns. Yeah. <laughs> You're not going to be able to get away with it. Well, and that's, that's really good. what the conflict is going to be is – and we've talked about this before. How do you make legislation that applies in yeah. rural America and urban oh, America? Right, right. Guns have a different place in society in those different Well, that's why you probably need to stick with you know, certain things like bump stocks pretty much aren't needed anywhere. Mm. I mean I guess unless you have a disability. Right. But they're, then uh, assault rifles really probably – Aren't needed anywhere, really. Well, if they're not going to get rid of those bump stocks, isn't there something they can do? Like you have to show proof that you're disabled. You got to show your handicap placard or something like that. Yeah, and you can't sell your bump stock if you've got it with a disability. Because hmm. hmm. that's, I mean, that's where this gets so complicated. Because there's that thing called the interweb, where you people are moving stuff all the time. And ammo. I mean, there's certain ammunition that just honestly doesn't need to exist. Armor-piercing ammo should not be on the streets. Should Amazon be given a hard time if somebody from the NRA purchases something from their website, gives them money? Oh, uh, yeah. I I just don't know where this ends. (laughs) There's a limit to everything, I guess. Well, I mean, I don't know. It's, yeah. Think of that. I'm just, just thinking of, of Marco Rubio. By the way, you we, know? yeah, we just found out that – didn't we just find out that Amazon's three times bigger than Walmart? Yeah, or two and a half times. Well – That's crazy big. Wall Street numbers. Yeah, yeah. Not like actual numbers. Actual numbers, Walmart's so much bigger. Oh, yeah. But when it comes to Wall Street, they look at the future – and the future they see is brighter with Amazon, so it's worth more. It's ridiculous. You know why That's that is, point. though? Walmart what? had the audacity to force people to go into their stores over the holidays instead of giving you the good deals online. Yeah, what's up with that? I know. It we didn't want to it, go in the store. It did drop their stock in the last couple of days because that, those numbers came out. Speaking of numbers coming out, Uh-oh. 
USA beats Canada in a shootout for the 2018 Olympic Woo-hoo! women's hockey gold. Canada owns hockey. It seems like this is quite this is that was quite a crowd. Yeah. And uh the US in a shootout beats Canada. Out of go. Out of girl. That's awesome. They killed it. It's like the 38th anniversary of the That is the Miracle coolest on thing. ice. Yeah. The men stuff. are out, right? Yeah, the men were bad. The men were bad, but the women we didn't send our it. we didn't send our pros, so our amateurs were playing pros and lost. So, but our pro women, yeah, killed it. That that's just I just that we want to give them an add a boy, but an add a girl. Add a girl. There we go. Yeah, um, that's great news. I mean, again, more gold <laughs> if you're counting. Just add it to the collection. And then they always have to bite it. They always have to bite the metal. Because uh, they, they never learn. There's no gold. chocolate inside. No gold, no chocolate. Let's get to the rest of the headlines with Terry. See what else he can muster up for us. Some more about the uh, some of the news that came out of the CNN town hall. Yeah. You had so a man whose daughter was killed in a mass shooting in Parkland, Florida last week, confronted Senator Marco Rubio on Wednesday night. At the CNN town event, Fred, Fred Guttenberg t- uh, said Rubio and President Donald Trump were pathetically weak in their response to the massacre. Which, if you watch that video, you, you see you see Rubio like like physically like blink and like he bows his head a second, like wow, wow. Because <laughs> the guy goes, "I'm going to be direct here. You're pathetically I'm just gonna tell weak you exactly in your what response, I- and yet he shows up. And he was there. Where were the other eighty or ninety nine senators? There's only two in the state, and they were both. No, no, but where were the other ones from the rest of the Senate? No one's saying anything. No. Everyone's quiet. Rubio was booed a lot, but Senator Bill Nelson of Florida, a Democrat, told the audience that Rubio showed guts by coming to the forum yes. when President Trump and Florida Governor Rick Scott, Nelson's possible 2018 opponent, both declined invitations. Rubio said he would support legislation preventing an 18-year-old from buying a firearm, but he would not go so far as to endorse a ban on assault weapons. He backed a gun violence restraining order in which a parent or caretaker petitioned uh, petitions authorities to prevent family members from buying guns or take guns away. Rubio said he is reconsidering his position in limiting magazine clip sizes because while it may not prevent an attack, it may save lives in an attack. Huh. They would have left some bullets to shoot. Mm-hmm. Yes. Rubio said that he did not support the president's idea of arming teachers. That was one of the things the president talked about in his listening yeah. session was he wants armed teachers. He said this morning that he didn't say that, but then he went ahead and like for the next three tweets discussed his idea of arming teachers. Jimmy Kimmel said last night, can you imagine if teachers are allowed to bring guns to school, but you can't have peanut butter in the classroom because of allergies? It's <laughs> a great point. It's like, okay. Yeah, you don't want to kill someone with peanut butter. Right. Rubio, he had a quote. He says, American politics is the only part of our lives where changing your mind based on new information is a bad thing. Yeah. You're not allowed to learn. No, you can't go backwards. Hmm. Uh, so Trump, this, President Trump this morning said, I will be strongly pushing comprehensive background checks with an emphasis on mental health, raising the age to 21 for uh, gun sales and in the sales of bump stocks. Congress is in a mood to finally do something on this issue, I hope. Uh, who said that? This is President Trump this morning. Hmm. Well, okay, but you can't end a sentence with I hope. He says I hope. He I just mean, it's a great did. statement. Well, he ended it with an exclamation point. I hope. I hope. I hope. Punctuation is important. 
In other news, crews used boats to help residents evacuate their homes in northern Indiana after rainstorms swept mm. across the Midwest on Wednesday, combined with melting snow to flood rivers, roads, and other low-lying areas in several states. The storm system started pushing heavy rain, snow, and ice into the region this week. The weather has already been blamed for hundreds of car crashes, several fatalities, including a crash that killed four people in Nebraska. About 19 mm. people have been evacuated from homes in Indiana or Elkhart, Indiana, where emergency crews were using boats and an armored vehicle to respond, just driving through the water. Wow. Uh, the mayor there said early, uh, said early Wednesday that uh, schools are closed, uh, it, This most of the city uh, offices are all closed, that kind of thing. Emergency shelters are set up. Authorities in Lansing, Michigan, recommend the evacuations of at least six neighborhoods Wednesday ahead of the expected cresting of the Grand River at more than three feet above flood stages Thursday night. Wow. So they're expecting uh, tonight now all kinds of problems. Hold on. And is it freezing there? It's cold, but, I mean, the water is still flowing. Uh-huh. And then they get another problem later on when all the ice that develops yeah. breaks and oh, starts moving boy. all at the same time. The Measurable. National Weather Service said up to eight inches of rain have fallen in parts of northern Indiana since Monday. Eight inches since Monday. Oh, man. This is something like, you know, we we saw all the photos from Houston. Yep. And we... That was in the muggy summer, right? So can you imagine flooding in the freezing winter? Ugh, brutal. Just horrible. Uh, according to new polling, more than half of U.S. adults are uncomfortable with self-driving vehicle technology and would be unlikely to use it on a daily basis, though younger Americans are more positive. What's the technology. problem? Yeah. Many automakers ranging from the largest car companies to newer entrants uh, like Google's uh, Waymo and Tesla are making big bets on autonomous driving technology, which also expected to help drivers or drive the expansion of electric vehicles. P- uh, public hesitation could hamper widespread commercial deployment. Uh, Northeastern University and Gallup survey from last year released today finds that 59% of respondents said they were uncomfortable with riding in a fully self-driving car. On a daily basis, 62% said they would be uncomfortable sharing the road. Yeah. With a fully self-driving car and trucks. The pollster said Americans may be underestimating their willingness to adopt the technology. The uh, same analysts note that Gallup's survey in 2000, almost a quarter of adults said they would never get a cell phone. Right. Hmm. Of course, that was a lie. Everyone well, got a cell phone. And by the way, how come all of these same people are comfortable with somebody eating a hamburger while they're driving at 75 miles well, an hour. That, Great the, point. The, the poll didn't ask that question. Yeah, they should ask that question because they have like 80% are totally fine with it. My mother said that we would never have the internet in our home. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Boy, was she wrong. Now look at you. And finally, North Korea has used giant speakers to bless propaganda uh, speeches across the DMZ, the stretch of land separating North yeah. and South Korea, on a loop for years. So speeches. Oh, wow. Just propaganda. Four just score. Blasting them. Some U.S. military personnel stationed at the DMZ can recite the speeches from memory because oh, they're just on great. a loop. See, they're, they're just, learning. Yeah. They're learning the... But with the start of the Winter Olympics in South Korea, it appears the North has given speeches a rest. We've been hearing a lot more music and a lot has been a lot more classical, especially at night, says Excellent. the U.N. Uh, Command Duty Officer Daniel McShane. Uh, to ABC News, McShane says maybe the North switched to choral and folk music because so many North Koreans are in the South for the Olympics, or it could just be a coincidence. Mm-hmm. But uh, or it goes maybe they just ran out of speeches. You know what they need is polka music. Polka. Ooh yeah, everyone polka, likes a good polka. It brings countries together. Mm. Right. No, but it's a good idea. It's a really good idea. You don't see Canada getting any closer to Minnesota. 
but aren't they? Mm, not not now, they're not. Do you think polka spreads across the border up there as a kind of universal appeal? Well, is it spread like a disease? I'm just asking. I don't yeah. know. These are I details. Polka. Well, this is more yodeling, but I, I like, think there's it's an offshoot of Well, there's polka. a lot of yodeling in polka. That's um, true. I think once you get your toe tapping, it's the toe tapping and it's the vibrations of the yodeler do you that like, brings do you, people together. Do you like an accordion-based polka yes. or more of a horn-based no, polka? No, I grew up in a family with accordions. In fact, I play the accordion. Mm. Can uh, you yodel too? No. No, I, I broke my yodeler. Oh, yeah. Doesn't it feel like more of the type of genre of music, the genre of music that a one-man band would try to play, a polka? Yeah, like the, you can almost hear this guy banging his knees together yeah, yeah, with yeah. cymbals. That was my thought. Yeah. Mm. But um, <laughs> no, I I played the I played the accordion mm. and uh, at the Larry Pino um, accordion. What they call it? I don't remember. Emporium or something? Yeah. (laughs) You're making this up. No, I swear. And then they said, hey, Larry Pino said, hey, Matt, you've got talent. You went, thank you, Larry. And I'm like. That that part you're definitely making up. No. And he said, you've got talent. I want you to be a member of our our accordion orchestra. Oh, wow. Which was really just a bunch of accordions. Well, yeah. And then um, he then said, I've really got talent. And right then I thought. I got to stop this now. Or I'm getting too big. <laughs> I'm going to have to go on tour. Okay, when are you bringing your accordion to the show and no, playing? I, it? So I quit Please say the never. accordion. Come on. But my mother played accordion and she has an accordion and I could probably play a song on that. What was the name of the orchestra? Was it the Honda Accordions? <laughs> hmm. That wasn't even funny. No. Not <laughs> even close. No, that wasn't even well, funny. About Larry 35 Pino. people beg to differ. Um, that was the, yeah, the one, yeah. Larry Pino was the name of the, the orchestra. The Larry Pino Accordion Orchestra. Okay. Not the Honda Accordions. <laughs> hmm. Anyway. Hey, up next we're going to be talking about online social networks. How they can actually help you fight your social anxiety. Is it that people that have social anxiety are using their social media to communicate in a way that they wouldn't normally communicate? According to our next researcher, uh, that's a big yes, and we will be talking about it. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Ever since the social media boom of Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, people have wondered how these sites affect their users. Researchers, practitioners, and social commentators have expressed concern that they can reduce meaningful face-to-face interaction, leaving many users depressed and lonely. But our next guest, uh, Dr. Eva Bouchel, assistant professor of marketing at the Darla Moore School of Business, has done research to answer the question and has some, I think, uh, pretty interesting insights for us about uh, how social media may actually be helping um, fight or at least helping those with social anxiety to communicate a little more effectively. Uh, Dr. Bouchel, thank you so much for being with us today. 
Thank you for having me. This is, uh, boy, some very interesting research. And by the way, coming out of out of the, out of a marketing, um, you'd almost think this would be coming from psychology and the study of psychology, but really, this seems to be more of a marketing study you've done. Yeah. So um, people don't really realize this, but a lot of research uh, is that is done in, in marketing departments is actually very psych- psychology based. Yeah. Um, so we do consumer behavior and consumer psychology. It's, it makes um, sense, so right? I understand. Right. Uh, yeah. How, sorry. Sorry. No. So talk to us about um, what what you're noticing. What What did your research find out about social networks, social media, and and how those with social anxiety are using it? Yeah. So basically, what we uh, identify is kind of like the fact that there's a very specific feature of online social networks, and it's the fact that uh, when you're communicating through microblogs, which are more commonly known as things like uh, tweets or status updates, mm-hmm. uh, basically you can communicate in this kind of what we call um, undirected manner, where you can kind of put something out there, um, like a tweet, and talk about something that you might want to talk about uh, without having to reach out to anybody more directly. So if you're for example, if you usually when, we, when you want to talk to somebody, you have to call them up or you have to text somebody specifically. Uh, but for microblocks, you can just kind of put it out there and then see whether somebody wants to respond, which makes the communication almost um, a little less. Um, it makes the communication a little bit less. Uh, it makes it more. It makes it more voluntary, so people can then respond um, if they want to, but they don't necessarily have to. And, it, it and de- that kind of reduces the anxiety that is associated yeah. with communication. It decreases that pressure that you know that 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 might hang around a, a kind of a one-on-one uh, interaction. Is this? Are you noticing right. that? Um, because there has been research, it seems like, around social media that it might make people. Uh, you know, evaluate themselves more harshly, that they, they might be more prone yeah. to be depressed or sad. But this actually would suggest this is a way for this is kind of a very beneficial way for people with social anxiety to to use social media. Exactly. So I think, you know, we're not saying that there's only positive benefits, uh, positive aspects of social media. I think what's, what we're trying to say is it's a little bit more of a complicated story. Yeah. And um, clearly there are certain things that they might be harmful for. So, yes. Everybody represents themselves in, in, in a more positive light that can uh, hurt self-esteem, for example, in some ways. But it's actually it's people with kind of low self-esteem that also feel like they uh, might benefit more from these kind of uh, channels when it comes to communicating. So really, we're not saying that, you know, online social networks are only good, but we're saying that they definitely have aspects that can also be beneficial. And I think that's why they're so popular. Um if they would only be bad, I think people would probably stop using it right. at some point. Well, and boy, if all of a sudden you can take people with social anxiety and bring them out, uh, you know, from from the darkness and bring them out and give them yeah, a voice and a exactly. place to actually engage, this could be really powerful. Yeah, and I think it, it, because those people might not be the ones who can otherwise reach out and then they just wouldn't reach out at all. Um, and so the fact that we find that people who uh, have are more socially anxious um, – are more likely to update their status is, I think, something that kind of speaks to the fact that there's a certain need for them to reach out, but they can't do it otherwise, and so they can use these channels um, to reach out when they otherwise wouldn't. So, did, yeah, uh, and reaching out is actually, your social interaction is very, very important for our well-being. Absolutely. So 
Did you notice, is there a difference between them just posting like on their Facebook page versus doing private messaging or direct messaging somebody? Yeah, so actually what we find is that people who are social anxious are, are prefer microbox over both direct messages and face-to-face communication. So when you're direct messaging somebody, you still have to kind of reach out to somebody and they still get a notification that says, hey, XYZ just sent you a message, and then they feel like an obligation to respond, Um, whereas you don't really have that for microblocks because you can just put them out there and not everybody, nobody gets a notification if you don't see it. Nobody is expecting that Matt is going to like see this post and going to respond. If you reply, great. But you're not getting a notification that I just like sent you personally something um, and then you have to somehow like say something back because you feel obligated to. Hmm. Do, do you sense that they would use this more than face-to-face interaction? Yeah. So basically, so the, the interesting thing about our study is, I think is sure face-to-face, uh, face-to-face communication is kind of like the most extreme form of communication where you are face-to-face with somebody, but our effect isn't, isn't about the, the fact that it's not face-to-face because we also find it for um, direct messaging. Um, so basically, we think it's really this, the, the fact that it's kind of like this non-committal way of communication where you're communicating with a bunch of people and whoever wants to reach out or wants to respond can, um, instead of actually directing the communication at somebody specifically who then might feel obligated to respond. Yeah. It really, it's so. it's just about, it's it seems it's, it's just about safety. And if it goes anywhere from there, that's great. If not, hey, yeah. it's at least more than nothing. Exactly. And I mean, I, I think there are certain other aspects of it. Um, again, you can like, then if somebody does respond, um, and this is not something that we've tested, this is just kind of me thinking, thinking what happens. Uh, but I think if somebody does respond, it's almost like even uh, more of a honor in a way because yeah. they, they didn't have to. Um, and if somebody just responds because you sent them a message, it's, it doesn't necessarily mean that they care about you. They might have just felt obligated to respond. Whereas if you put something out and somebody voluntarily follows up with you and says something or likes your post or something, um, they didn't have to do that. So uh, it's almost a little bit more assuring. Yeah. I think. No, I agree. I, in fact, I, I you can almost tell um, – and I have clients that have social anxiety, and you can see them out there doing it. It's almost just they're just they just want to be part of the opportunity, part of the conversation, and yeah. and they're throwing it out there. And I wonder if if nobody responds, is it even more negatively impactful? Yeah, I mean, I think it could. Again, we didn't look at this specifically. I think if nobody if none of your friend says anything yeah. and that could be a little hurtful yeah. most of the time though if you look at you don't really see that many statuses uh, at least not in in, in my uh, news feed that don't get any reaction right. I mean, there's usually somebody who responds if you have a bunch of friends um and i think you also sometimes kind of wonder like you see these posts and you're like why why are people posting this on facebook um and one reason why they might be doing that is because they don't really know how to reach out and then otherwise sometimes people reveal very personal things on Facebook where you're kind of like, like, why are you doing this online? Um, and one of the reasons might be is because it's easier for them, but that could also have downsides because if you keep posting things about your personal life, 
um, or that are kind of very intense, you're also kind of maybe overexposing yourself um, and your problems to people that might not want to hear about it or should not know about it. Right. Uh, Again, we're speaking with uh, Dr. Eva Bouchel, who is Assistant Professor of Marketing at the Darla Moore School of Business and um, has done extensive research on this topic of social networks and social media and how we could use social media to actually uh, help some people fight social anxiety or at least communicate more. And, and she's learning some interesting insight about that. What what would you suggest? I mean, I guess if, if you have children that have social anxiety, then <laughs> social media could be a friend. It could be. I think it's also, you know, another thing that you – uh, so what we actually show is that if if somebody tells um, someone that like they're always there for them to listen and if they really want to reach out they can, um, then people will actually reach out or prefer reaching out in person. I think it's a fact that people are afraid to or or think that they're bothering someone or imposing something yeah. on someone. So I think if I had children, I would just make sure that um, I would you know always tell them that like I'm always willing to like listen to them and uh, so I think it's also kind of like a a fact if you do see somebody who is posting a lot and you might think that they're doing it because they don't have anybody to talk to it might be worth reaching out to them and letting them know that they um, are always welcome to talk to them also offline. Yeah that could be a really powerful way to just help each other through this through life is yeah. con- just just responding to people's <laughs> statements. I mean, yeah. I mean, especially if you know that they might be a little more shy or more, you know, af- afraid to exactly. to stick their neck out, then validate it, validate it. Yeah. Or you can just send them a, a, a message on, you know, in a more direct manner, like a, a Facebook message or something saying uh, that, you know, if they're having a rough time or something, or if they need to talk, that you're there for them. That's cool. I mean, I, I guess this this also what I worry about. Well, maybe I don't worry about it really, but if this also could become a marketing concept, where oh wow, now all of a sudden we can start marketing to the anxious and start. Um, yeah. is, do you worry about that side of this? Um, well, so I mean, again, as marketers, we always kind of think about segmentation and like targeting. Uh, um, and I think looking at kind of like how people behave online, if you have more advanced analytical tools, you can uh, figure out, you might be able be able to figure out who is socially anxious because they're posting more or they're posting, posting certain content. One thing that we don't necessarily know is exactly what people are posting. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but if we, if we knew what people would, are posting, you could figure out basically what on um, kind of like the, what the content that they're posting, you could figure out how socially anxious they might be and then target them specifically, which could be a good thing. Um, if you're trying to help them, uh, or it could be a bad thing if you're uh, trying to like exploit them. Yeah. Do you? Um, so you don't necessarily know what they're they're posting necessarily, um, but but no matter what, one of the things your research did find is by by the mere fact that they are commenting and then having people respond to their comments, they, they do feel happier. Yeah. So we have um, we do have some research showing that. If people express their emotions um, to somebody and then that the, the person has an ability to respond like they do on social networks, uh, it can alleviate kind of these negative feelings. So a lot of times when we feel negatively, we have this 
intense need to reach out because we, we need to be comforted and having somebody talk to us and having social interaction kind of, kind of comfort us and alleviate negative feelings, even if it's just temporarily, it doesn't necessarily solve the problem that we have, but it just kind of like makes us feel better. Um, and what we find is that even that this can even happen if you're just anticipating a response. So uh, if somebody it feels bad and, and you have have them write to somebody or or um, kind of write, write about their emotions or why they're feeling bad, and then uh, send it to somebody who know who you know will be able to respond. Um, just kind of the anticipation of response uh, can make you feel better. So just posting on on social media and anticipating the response might make some might make people feel better. Hmm. Again, if they never get one, we're not sure yeah. if it's uh, also kind of sad if nobody responds, but. Just basically posting it, kind of anticipating the response, and maybe overestimating how much response you're going to get um, can at least temporarily alleviate these negative feelings. Because um, you're, th- you're you're thinking about like people, all the people are going to like respond to your post. Absolutely, um, isn't that fascinating? Yeah. And it's also interesting how little we know and. So that's why we're grateful that uh, you're on it, Eva. Again, we appreciate your time, Eva. Eva Bouchelle is her name, and uh, she is an assistant professor of marketing at the Darla Moore School of Business. Um, And just keep at it, really. We need it. I, I have a lot of clients that have social anxiety, and if we could just find one or two more ways to help them reach out and find a little more happiness and dare to communicate Uh, It might be a great breakthrough for all of us. We will continue the journey, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Who doesn't love social media? Me. Uh, Lots of people. Um, I personally love it because we just announced... Uh, my daughter's, what do they call it when you, gender reveal for her twins. Yeah. Did you have like blue smoke or uh-huh. pink we had smoke? Blue smoke and yeah. pink smoke. That's great. That's great. Why, why do you say it that way? I just. All, you say it so negatively, like you hate smoke and little baby twins. Well, no, that, now, the, now you have like the fact that you're pregnant, a reveal. Yeah. Oh, right? yeah. Then you have the gender reveal. Yeah. Then you have the name reveal. Right. And it's just m- more excuses to put something on Instagram. Yeah. And they go, hey, look at me. Or, hey, look at my beautiful human that I brought to this earth. No, that's great. It's just at some point it's like these like 10 years ago, people didn't celebrate every single milestone. Hey, you hate babies, don't You're you? You're a monster. I, I have He's a two. baby hater. They're fine. They're great. But didn't you and your wife do a gender reveal? Yeah, we went to my parents and said, guess what it's going to be? A baby. My, my wife baked a cake and made it blue. Maybe inside. maybe he's yeah. trying to get at the point of it's 50-50. It's either a boy or a girl. It's not like a lottery drawing. Yeah, right? but don't you think that a baby reveal, a gender reveal, is more interesting to put on social media than, hey, I had quiche for lunch. Yes. Sure. Yeah. But then I have a problem with 90% of what's put on social media. So, I I think you have a problem with 90% of humanity. (laughs) That could be it, too. Plus the little, you just don't like babies. No, I have two of them. They're great. Yeah, but yours aren't babies anymore. Well, one, one and a half, that's a baby. 
She's still figuring out how to walk. She's well, there. So is Jeff. But, I know. By the way, so am I. I had another tumble the other day. Oh, oh really? boy. With grandma's ankles. You need Grankles. to get some braces. Brace up those ankles and for you. Again, all I get from my family that was around me at the time, laughter. Of course. Did they at least check to see if you were hurt no, before they, they laughed? Really? They just started laughing. Right into the laugh. That is mean. That's gotta... what happens in my household, too. If I get hurt, that's the first response. It's not, oh, let me help you, or that looked painful. Well, it's laughter. No, it's also, hey, put the fire out, and then, <laughs> then they laugh because you always get electrocuted. So you were talking about the baby reveal. So that was the baby reveal, and right. we have babies coming. Have you and... seen the failures people have? Like yeah. there's there's one where you you have a like a ball full of some whatever the blue smoke yeah you know, and so you throw it at say your husband and he's supposed to hit it with the baseball bat strike and dad can't hit it <laughs> he just keeps swinging away yeah you need an easier re- well we had a little problem because sparks from the firework thing that had the blue smoke or the pink smoke one yeah. of the sparks hit my granddaughter on the forehead. <laughs> So she started crying because she was hurt. Pyrotechnics. It was, they're difficult. It was intense. But it was cool. A girl and a boy. That's what's coming. 50 Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you for congratulating me. Thank you, Jeffrey. Thank you, Terry, for hating little children. I know this is not related to what we've been talking about, but yesterday we went to a meeting. Yeah. And there is a, sh- a new show that's coming out on BYU TV that deals with something that I think – hones in on what is really happening with my face. What? So we thought maybe it was just the dryness. Yeah. Maybe allergies, right? But there's a new show coming out Reptilian called Man. The Leper. <gasps> Remember that? That's it. In fact, Whoa. I think I've got leprosy. Right, right when they announced. Why are you coming to? They tell you don't come to work with the flu, but you no. show up with leprosy? But here's the deal. Right when they said that there's a new show that is about a leper. Jeff and I looked at each other like, oh, that's why you've got the eyelid thing. And Matt immediately stood up and moved 10 rows back. I'm going to move away now. That was weird. We used to have colonies for you people. It's okay because I rubbed my face all over the pizzas before we ate them. That's why I didn't eat any. (laughs) That's why Terry left early and didn't have any either. Nobody wants that. They also said we're bimodal. I was like, what is that? So I left. Bimodal. Anyway, yeah. so <laughs> you <laughs> distraction. Let's do so this. social media. Be the earliest form of social media, possibly, possibly was a message in a bottle. It was probably actually a smoke. Yeah, probably a smoke. But one of them. I mean, you're stuck on an island. You you toss the bottle into the ocean, hoping for rescue. Presuming you have a bottle. I don't know how. Yeah, that that was always confusing. How do they get a bottle? How do they get a bottle? You're on there. an island. Where did that come from? Look, did a seagull bring it? So more than two years after, Wanda Roberts and her family threw a message in in a bottle into the Pacific Ocean. It was found by Edward Paulino, thousands of miles away in Guam. Wow. Roberts' late father, Bob Mahan, loved to camp out by the ocean. And on September 9th, 2015, the family gathered on the beach in Navarro, California, sending a message in a bottle out to the sea. It ultimately reached the shores of uh, Guam where it was discovered on February 3rd by Paulino. Paulino's daughter, Garica, told the Pacific Daily News that her dad likes collecting interesting items on the beach, 
And when he found the bottle, he urged her to contact Roberts. Wow. It's amazing that the bottle traveled such a long distance, she said. The faded pink bottle contains a letter from Roberts explaining why she had thrown it into the ocean and a small container of bubbles sporting a picture of Mahan's favorite cartoon character, Mickey Mouse. Oh, wow. Garica Paulino messaged Roberts, who lives in Washington on Facebook, let her know that the bottle had arrived in Guam, and Roberts was thrilled. Social media is a wonderful outlet connecting us to other parts of the world, she said. It's brought back fond memories of all the family, and all the family agrees that my dad would have loved to have known that this happened. Oh. The bottle went across the Pacific. Somebody else found That's it. Now neat. they have a friend. Poor Guam is like, it's just like the trash bin. Yeah. What's <laughs> the other side the of the Pacific? This? He picked up a bottle out of the ocean. And and now you'd have all these – I mean, because that's a beautiful story. But now because everybody has an opinion and everybody has something they're fighting for, yeah. there's people out there right now saying, oh, great, ruin Earth well, there's, by throwing bottles the, into the ocean. There are floating trash islands in the Pacific where the currents have yeah. pushed all the stuff that's out there together. Can you imagine the, some of the stuff you would find there, though? Well, after the, the tsunami in Japan, right? Yeah. It pulled boats and all kinds of just – Life, the trash, everything out into the ocean. Boats are floating around. So yeah, that's what you need, though. You do need you need one island to willingly take in all the trash. <laughs> yeah. Just a place where we can collect it all. There you go. Yeah, good stuff, man. That's a, see a good feel so, yeah, good two story. Two families unified by a bottle. Yeah, and then social media. And there's that loving feeling that we all felt in our heart. And even I saw Terry's heart jump a little. Yeah, bit. Yeah, I rejected most of that. So. It's beautiful. I did it for the show. See, that's what we do here. We will continue learning together and feeling the peace of life. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back. Somebody wake Jeffrey up. Wow. 22 easy tips for people who are sick of feeling tired. Last night, I took, uh, is it melatonin? Is that what it's called? Yes. I, yeah. always, I always call it Metamucil. Yeah. Because well, I can never remember to call it melatonin. That's actually different. Yeah. But, and that'll get you up in the middle of the night for a different reason. <laughs> um, but my melatonin, I took some, but it seems like mine only lasts like four hours. Really? And then, I don't know. It's always every time I ever take it, I go to sleep really fast, but wake up in the middle of the night. Do you need melatonin with your schedule? Um, no. But it's, it's a, just a little, it's just a little extra push, a little it, extra boost. It's just, and it's just natural. It's a natural thing. Hmm. Melatonin. It does your body good. Um, so I've been looking for some sleep tips, and here are some sleep tips. Okay. Um, that that might help you. Uh, this is from BuzzFeed, and some of them are obvious. Some of them may not be your problem. Number one, or number one, try limiting your alcohol intake. Done after nine p.m. <laughs> Done. Turn the thermostat down a bit so you're sleeping in a cooler environment. It's seventeen Done. degrees outside. I'm good. Really My, doesn't doesn't heat make you sleep more than cold? No, it makes you uncomfortable. Yeah. Oh, if I'm sitting in a a hot room, I'll fall asleep like that. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. That's why I often and fall asleep in And you'll take your shirt off and, yeah, hence, all that other stuff. the leprosy, uh, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> one thing you could do is practice breathing methods. Oh, yeah. Better breathing, 
kind of calms your body down, helps you relax a bit. I do a little meditation um, tape. We don't call them tapes anymore. I do a little online meditation. Present. Like a, a video. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, And it just it, – Is it your voice or is it video? It's not my voice. Oh. It's, but what it does is it has me imagining myself on a beach in a hammock. Okay. And you can hear the waves coming in. Mm. Whoosh, whoosh, it's so nice. And then I always dream about, you know, being Gilligan on Gilligan's Island. Uh, <laughs> keep your phone away from you in the room. Charge Jen. your phone out, out, you know, out in the kitchen. I usually look at it and then turn it off and go to sleep. Mine's across the room. Man. They say uh, mist your pillow with lavender chamomile chamomile pillow spray. No. No. No smells. Yeah, I don't want anything. (laughs) My wife has dish soap that smells like peppermint. Hmm. Oh, it's so gross. Oh, yeah. Just don't. I don't need that on everything because it's on your hands and it travels everywhere you There's go. There's something then. about lavender oil apparently that makes you sleepier. Because yeah. Another one is dab tea tree oil or lavender oil on your wrist. We have Wait that. a minute. Is this from those uh, essential oil that's people? A, yeah, that's probably not. This is from BuzzFeed, but okay. that, that one snuck through We, we have some baby lotion that's supposed to be, you know, you prep your kid for bed type yeah. of, and you, it's lavender type stuff, so. Uh, play a word game that takes your mind off the fact that you can't sleep. Really? Like tongue twisters? Like or? P is for pancake. Think of every word you, you can you think of play, that starts with a P. You could play words with friends on your phone. Hmm. Yeah. That's right? a great Wait, one. No, you're supposed no, to no, put no, your no, phone no, away. Yeah, keep your oh. phone away. Use an eye mask to block out every single bit of light in your room. By the way- Then you just look pretentious. I use earplugs. Greatest thing on earth. Hmm. It puts me in my own little cocoon. So there's an emergency. Yeah, know, well, no, I would, be, I would probably buy, die in a house fire. Yeah. I've had to start taking my watch off at night because if I don't, I will hit snooze on my watch. Really? And then I won't get up. Really? Hmm. Yeah. yeah. I, I almost missed the show because of it. Uh, another one, this I thought of you, Jeff, rub your entire body down with coconut or castor oil. Who told you? <laughs> wow. Sounds Your wife slick. called. Um she says, yeah, she says you keep ruining the sheets with coconut well, oil. Well, i got to figure out this skin thing. Yeah. Only hang out in bed Loofah. when you're ready to turn in for the night. Right. You so know watching that, TV. That, that, that is a good tip. People go and hang out in their bedroom. They read. They just kind of linger. Use the bed only for sleeping. Yeah. Now, what about a chair next to your bed? Is that okay? No. Because I've got one of those. So those are just a few tips, and mm-hmm. we will uh, we'll continue giving you more ideas to uh, sleep, including sometimes just listen to the podcast. We'll help you any way we can. This is the Matt Townsend Show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Have we been telling stories that we really haven't even thought about? But we use these phrases like, I'm not very good at that. Yeah, I don't do that. I'm not a math person. We might quickly dismiss something we do by saying, ah, it's just the way I am. Yeah, I, you know, I'm not, I don't like to hold the grandbabies. I, I, I want them, I'm a, I'm a grandpa that'll play with them when they're older. Well, let go of that story and pick up your grandbaby. <laughs> Get rid of the story. You don't have to be pegged by something you thought you were 30 years ago. 
It's not like somebody's going to say, Grandpa, do this math. So you you don't have to be bad at math anymore. You've got a brain. You can still add. Anyway, it's simple to just sit there and have a trite phrase that we use all of the time. But many of these phrases, they're not going to help you. They beat you up. They They actually take away something. They could take away something like time with your kids or your grandkids. Yeah, I don't have time for that. Yeah, hobbies, you know, I don't golf because it's a waste of time. Now, you don't have to go golf, but that's also a story because it could be really time well spent. Exercising, hanging out with friends, opening your mind up, meditating, wrapping your golf club around a tree, stuff like that. Another thing we need to let go of is the need to keep score. Let's just get very clear, folks. Life isn't fair. So if it's not fair, then there's probably no value in keeping score. (laughs) People are going to step on you. They're going to make mistakes. Someone's going to pull in front of you, and it is going to slow you down ten hundredths of a second. Yeah, it happens. Doesn't mean you need to chase them down and pull in front of them. The reason why it's not useful to keep score is because much of life is intangible anyway. The greatest benefits in life are intangible. They're not even... You can't mark it. You can't compare it. The joy you feel being with a grandchild, the joy you feel watching your child have a home run or hit a home run in a game, man, that's incredible. And why are we keeping score? It's not fair. At some point, people are going to step on your toes. They're going to do stupid stuff. This isn't a race. It's called life. So if you feel a need to keep score constantly, then guess what? You're going to pay for it. There's going to be problems for you. Another thing we need to let go of are what I call the overs and the unders. Every one of us tends to take extremes in our lives. We either go overboard or under, right? So we play way too hard and excessive in what we do. We play to kill for keeps. We play to dominate. And some of us just don't play. Think about your life. Where are you overboard? Well, I, I collect figurines. I have 12,000 of them. Okay, it's a little over. Maybe you're a little overboard on that. Uh, you don't have to be a fanatic to believe in God. You don't have to go overboard or under. Yeah, I don't even go to church. You can actually go to church and just be there. Be there your way. Yeah, but then they'll ask me to pray, and then i got to pray. And Well, you could say no. You're listening to the best of the Matt Townsend Show. Overs and unders, we all do it. And sometimes it's over, you know, we're overconfident, uh, and some of us are really underconfident. We lack the confidence we need. Are there certain things that take you to an extreme? Are you doing any activity excessively? Do you, oversch- do you overschedule your life? Do you overcommit to everything? Are you overly exhausted? Or do you, you know, have plenty of energy because you don't ever say yes to anything and you don't ever step out of your comfort zone? We might want to look at that and let go of it. You might want to let go of what's not working. Sometimes in life there's just time to let go of stuff that just isn't working. It's it's how many times do you keep trying to do something over and over and it's just not working? 
we keep trying it. That could, I mean, I see it a lot with my clients where they just keep trying and trying and trying to do, to have a conversation, even though it's not working. Well, what are we supposed to do? Just not talk? Well, no, but go learn how to make it work. Find another way to do this. There are different ways to try stuff. And with today's technology and today's day and age, if, if the way you keep trying to lose weight isn't working and it hasn't for 30 years, maybe you've got to let go of that way of losing weight. Maybe it's not about watching your calories. Maybe it's not. Maybe there's another way to skin the cat. I don't know why we're skinning cats, but... Seems gotta, a little cruel to me. Yeah, to skin, you don't have to skin a skin cat, cat to lose weight. You don't. But find another way to do it. Just go find something you're passionate about. Well, I really love racquetball, but I, it doesn't help me with my calories. Well, okay. There's, but then go do more racquetball. You know, I don't know. Just We've got to find a different way of doing things, that, especially after years of something not working. Another thing we might want to do is get rid of our need to accumulate stuff. Oh, it's just stuff we keep. I kept, and I have no idea why I did it, I kept every script basically for our radio show, every article I read, we we accumulate about 20, 30 pages of information that we use for this show every day. And I would just staple them all together and put them in a file. I threw them out. Actually, I had I had Kaylee throw them out. She broke her, she darn near broke her back trying to lift this lift these papers. It's crazy. We accumulate stuff like it matters. But then when you look at people like Gandhi, you know, Buddha, Christ, these people were known for what they didn't have. They didn't try to get their identity from their stuff. Maybe we could just throw more stuff out, you know, recycle more, get rid of stuff, declutter. So I challenge you as springs are coming. Let's declutter. Get in there and seriously, get rid of a third of your stuff. Well, but I might need it. Have you needed it the last 10 years? Well, no, but I might retire in 10 more years and then I might need it. Believe me, by the time you retire in 10 years, you won't need it. You'll have an iPhone that does everything for you. Another thing we might let go of is just one bad habit. Think of one bad habit. You might have 50. Ben has 250. And growing. And growing. Just get rid of one bad habit. Just one thing. What's one thing you can just figure out how to stop doing today? One thing. Let's just get it off our plate. Oh. One bad habit. Ben, what's your bad habit you're going to get rid of? Caring too much. No, brother. Caring too much. When did that start? That's my defect. That's my only defect. My only weakness. Yeah. Okay, never mind. Don't even worry about it. Never mind. Knew I shouldn't have asked him. Just one bad habit. What's your what's your worst habit? I care too much. So I'm gonna let it go and turn into a horrible evil person. That's one of the great lines. What's your worst? Um, what would you say is your worst habit? Uh, 
as we're about to hire you for this job. My worst habit is I, I try too hard. I work endlessly. You're amazing. I know. You ought to hire me. Anyway, let go of just one bad habit. So there you have it, folks. A few ideas for you. Things we can let go of. Project elimination. Let go of stories that don't serve us. Let go of the need to keep score. Let go of the overs and the unders, the extremes that we take. Let go of what is not working. Let go of the need to accumulate stuff. And let go of one bad habit. Even if that habit is you care too much. That's the Matt Townsend Show. We'll take a break. We'll be back. More tools, more ideas to help you live longer, love stronger. Stick with us, folks. been given life advice, whether we ask for it or not, right? And most commonly, the advice revolves around some sort of positive thinking. The thing is, your own experiences are much more powerful influence than hearing about someone else's. Positivity becomes a mindset that permeates your thinking, influences your actions, and shapes the way others think of you. Joining us to talk about it is Christopher Connors, who's an author, a career coach, and speaker. And he's going to talk to us about today, today about the importance of an open mind and a positive attitude. Christopher, thank you for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me, Matt. I appreciate it. You bet. It's it's interesting. We always we always hear you know be positive. You got to have a PMA, positive mental attitude. Um, but talk to us about that because we don't want it to be cliche. There, but there is some pretty strong research behind uh, the power of how you think. No question about it. And I, I think that for me, where it starts is I, I something I picked up in coaching basketball is uh, a saying that. There are two things you can always control, your attitude and your effort. And cliche, yes. But once it starts to manifest itself in your life and and all of the experiences that you have, and and I've found both personally and professionally, staying positive while not always easy on an everyday basis and not always easy in the moment, it has tangible long-term results. It helps you to build positive relationships, helps you to meet the kind of people and attract the kind of people that you want, and it invites new opportunities into your life no, no matter what you're really trying to pursue both on a personal or professional level. It brings the right people and right uh, opportunities into your life. Yeah, no, totally. You also talk about open mind. Um, what Talk about what you mean by open mind. I, I think for me, open-mindedness, it, it's not necessarily just a, a tolerance, so to speak, in, in terms of whether it's you know tolerance for other people, whether it's political or whatever it may be. I mean, open-mindedness to me is, remaining open and to new opportunities, to meeting new people. And, and so much of how I define that, you know, and I, I base it on these values. And, and I recently just published my first book, The Value of You. Both open-mindedness and positive attitude are right in there. And I've just found, you know, really through researching the lives of successful people, uh, in my professional experience, I've worked in the management consulting world, and I've seen people succeed and, and really get promoted to reach high levels of, of where they've wanted to get to. By keeping an open mind, maybe the first path to success that they saw wasn't uh, the door that opened for them. So instead of being closed-minded or getting cynical and thinking, well, 
exactly the way that I drew up my plan was, was not how it worked out. So now I'm going to give in. It's keeping that open mind to, to being willing to see things through that things are not always going to work out the way you think they are. But if you stay open minded and if you're willing to keep persevering, uh, which is another value that's so important to me, that, that, that that's where open mindedness comes mm. to me is being willing to see those new opportunities and relationships. Absolutely. And it almost feels like there's a there's some corollary between um, positivity that keeps the mind open, because once you start getting negative, your mind would start closing opportunities, seeing everything as, as a curse, not, you know, not an opportunity. How do they play on each other? I, I think that, you know, posit, positive attitude. So as you kind of referenced earlier, there's, there's certainly research and studies behind just, you know, thinking more positively, it, it, it closes you off to those negative emotions of, of anger. And, and so, so much of how I see an open-mindedness and positive attitude, it's, it's around emotional intelligence and certainly, if you've read Daniel Goldman's work or if you've just read other work in that field, uh, leading to, the, to those vices or leading to those negatives and temptations around anger or envy or, you know, things like that or just too much pride in your life, that'll close you off. Yeah. And it'll literally decrease uh, the imagination and, and, and the, the creativeness of thinking around, you know, things that are going to really help you in your life. We're staying positive. You know, you find that your imagination is a little bit more open. You find that you're more receptive to learning and trying new things and giving things a shot. Does does this? I mean, you grew up. You played college ball and um, basketball, but you you see John Wooden. You see um, a lot of uh, a, a lot of motivation and a lot of PMA, positive mental attitude stuff, come out of the sports world. Um, where where is it that you learned it and and did you learn it on the court did you learn it as an athlete yeah no question about it matt and and for me i just <laughs> so your audience knows i mean john wooden is a hero of mine and someone that you know in so many ways has served as an inspiration to why i do what i do you know a lot of my book which is a book about core values and the importance of building your life and your foundation on that to put together a plan for your life you know, a lot of that was inspired by John Wooden's pyramid of success. And, and this is a man that is one of the most successful you know, basketball coaches, but just coaches in, in sports history, at least here in the United States. And I think that he just realized the importance of, of building that foundation, of staying positive through adversity. There's always going to be adversity. There's always going to be failures in, in the sports world, losses, mistakes made, you know, turnovers. And there's going to be change all around us in our lives. And, and I think that if you, if you start to get negative and you start to get down, that's really when you tend to give up. And, and the, the biggest part of you know, my belief system is ultimately not to give up, to persevere. I think that perseverance and persistence is key to success. But to me, in order to do that, you have to stay positive. And I, I've learned so much of that, in, mm. both through playing and coaching sports. What do you, what do you suggest um... – because I've seen it with my own kids playing ball. Uh, you know, you strike out once, the next time you're up, it's easy to kind of follow that same thinking pattern. What, what do you suggest we do to kind of uh, to to not follow the negative path, but to actually bring more positivity, to induce it into our lives? Sure. I mean, I, I think it's really important. Uh, I, I start with a lot of foundational uh, thinking in, in both my writing and my coaching. So number one, you know, select what your values are. They could be, fit, you know, faith, your faith, positive attitude, confidence, things like that. 
select those values, write them down, you know, define what your what success means to you and what happiness means to you. That, that's something that a lot of people, they don't take the time to do that. But I think once you are firm and you're committed as to, you know, what are the things that make you happy? What are the things that are going to make you successful? And you put those down, you're able to better plan and, and you're less likely to, to kind of give in and, and, and more obviously to certainly keep going. Yeah, absolutely. Is um, and I guess too that's there's this weird paradox or um, I don't know what you call it irony, where we we don't want to eliminate negative things. I mean, it seems like we want to make everything you know perfect and 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 not have any negativity, but really it seems like we need the negativity so that the positivity um, creates value. There's there's undeniably a balance, and and again, I, I'd be the first one to say to you that I, I'm not <laughs> I'm not positive every every day. There there are times that I get down. Uh, the the flip side of that, which which I you know, and I appreciate you mentioning, is that I've found myself lately thinking a lot, and, and you know, from a writing standpoint, of you know, adversity is your best friend. Something really counterintuitive to most people: losing is your best friend because the biggest growth moments, the biggest opportunities that often come in life are from adversity, mm. are from moments when we've either lost someone in our lives, you know, it could be a death, it could be the loss of a job, it could be, you know, any type of adversity or failure that we encounter in life. There's always that opportunity that comes right from that. If you're willing to stay positive, that, that's the other side of it is you're going to get down. But if you play the long game of staying positive, you realize that things like adversity, failures, those really end up being your best friend. Absolutely. In fact, one of the things uh, you've coined, or a ta- I, I don't know if you've coined it, but the idea of individual positivity. I guess you're saying bring it to the personal level, or how, how do you frame this individual positivity? Yeah, again, I, I think, and one of the quotes that I mentioned in, in the article was just that in, in, every, in every adversity, there, there is an opportunity of an equivalent advantage. That's a, a Robert Collier quote, a very... Uh, you know, 20th century author who spoke a lot about positivity. And I I think, you know, whether you want to call it willpower or whether you want to just believe in the the power to try to do our best as individuals to master our emotions and to master our thought life, you know, we all have control over, you know, being positive, over having that attitude every day. We, we, We can really imbue our thoughts with positivity and other emotions. And I think that, you know, all of us can do that. That's, that's not something that is, is a gift for just a chosen few. All of us, uh, through the power of our faith, through believing in ourselves and self-esteem and confidence, we can individually take that on to uh, have that, you know, impact our whole day. Absolutely. What, uh, in your book, um, the, uh, I guess part of what we want to figure out is is really that that each and every one of us has this value, the name of the book is called The Value of You. What what can we do? I mean, I've met a lot of people that, because we live kind of in this pop culture world where, you know, you see Justin Timberlake and he's married to Jessica Biel and everyone wants these like famous, you know, just in, rich and healthy and all these powerful uh concepts of what makes you valuable in this world, how do you really determine the value of you? And what advice do you give to people that aren't sure what, where their value is? Sure. I mean, I think, you know, so in my book, I choose to devote 20 individual chapters to a specific value. And I think that 
know, is that a little bit overwhelming in, in, in the short term? Yes. The, bo- the book is meant to be a guide that, you know, you pick and choose. And, and for me, uh, above anything, I, I, love is, is the value that I choose to base. Love and faith are the two values that I probably choose to base my life around the most. And so the way that I would explain that uh, to relate it to the audience is that, you know, I, I feel like everything I do in my life is based on my belief in God. It's based on my belief in myself and, and belief in the people around me. And I also choose to act out of love. You know, I put my family first. I put the people that I love and care about first in this world. And then, of course, I have my job. I have the work that I do on the side and my passions to pursue. But I bring those up as examples, Matt, because I think that the more, you know, values require work. It requires choosing the ones that you want to build your life on. And then you can put together that plan of whatever it is that you really want to do in your professional life and your personal life, whether you want to start a family But I I think you choose the values first and then you give deep thought to what those things really mean to you. And that that to me is is truly individualistic. It's uh, the mantra of self-improvement that don't don't just follow someone else's advice. Give it real deep thought for yourself and make that value your own. Yeah. Don't you think that uh, each and every one of us has some defining light or something inside of us that actually is there to help us discern what our principles are, what our values are? Unquestionably. Uh, I'm, I'm a very strong believer in God. Um, I truly believe that in my life I have – it's one of those things that, again, it's, it's faith is, is – is, is, it's hard to explain to people that don't feel that way, but for people that really truly believe in a higher power, you know, you, you start to see the changes in your life when you, you have that faith, when you give up uh, control and, and you give in to the power of, of God. And so – you know, for me, that that is a huge part of, of who I am. Um, but I and I, I would also say I, I truly, from the bottom of my heart, believe that every one of us has at least one special talent. You know, and, and some of us, you know, you start to see. I know you referenced some celebrities, and yeah. it's easy to look at the pop culture world or certain athletes and think, God, you know, these people, everything they do is right, everything they do is perfect, and and that's not really the case. You know, some of us, we have a couple things. Some of us, it might just be, you know, you're a great parent. You're a great teacher. You're, you're excellent at creating art. Whatever it is, I, I truly believe that every one of us has at least one or two things that, you know, we're just really great at. And it's a matter of, you know, finding out, well, what, what, what is that? You know, some of us, it may take a while to find that out, but it's always worth pursuing that, pursuing that passion, putting hard work into it, and being practical about what your natural talents are to try to meld those things together. Absolutely. What would you say, Christopher, as we wrap this up, um, what would you say is the one thing? Again, we're speaking with Chris Connors, who is author, career coach, and speaker, also um, has a a wonderful um, new book out. By the way, you can find a lot of what he talks about and and what he writes about. Um, You can find it on um, medium.com. But um, this this, – Chris, talk to us about what's the one thing? that you would suggest for all of us that we can do today that would help us, you know, maintain that open mindset and, uh, and that positive attitude. Sure. Sure. So I, I think, you know, just one thing again, start, start writing out, you know, that, that why, so to speak for your life, you know, why you're doing what you're doing. I, I think once you make sense of your actions or, or what you truly want to be doing, it's a lot easier to, to believe in that, to stay positive, to, to stay open-minded to 
a plan that you may have knowing that plans can change, knowing life will always change around you, that there will be adversity, there will be good days and bad days. But I think being being firm in your purpose about what you want for your life and being willing to ask those philosophical questions and those deep questions about what's truly most important to you. I, I think once you do that work, it opens you up to being more positive, to seeing that light at the end of the tunnel in, in all of the areas of your life, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, and physically, and all of the things that you do. So I think maybe that's the best way that I would say that, Matt. Good stuff. Good stuff. Chris Connors, thank you so much for your great work. The name of the book is The Value of You. You can find out more about Chris and his work by going to chrisdconnors.com, chrisdconnors.com, and, uh, and, and just continue your learning, your process of discovering you. That is really what we're trying to do here. Up next, a little Coach's Corner. Dr. Matt, I'll be here helping you, you know, be the guide on the side. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. What's the matter with you, boy? You too stupid to do what your coach tells you? Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Play ball! Play ball! Anyway... Uh, you know, really, a lot of stuff that we've, we are all, I think, learning and trying to do better here. Um, one of the things I wanted to make sure that we talk a little bit about, we talk about positive mental attitude. We talk about having an open mind and, uh, and how those things make a difference. One of the things I think that makes the biggest difference is it's not going to be um, a cliche. It, it's And there's a ton of research behind all of this stuff, but... The real reason I like being more positive is because I just feel better. Now, some people are like, well, yeah, but sure, you're going to be taken advantage of more. Hey, bring it on. (laughs) Whatever. If you're going to try to take advantage of me because I'm positive, fine. Because when you do, guess what I'll say? Meh. Oh, well, you know, did what I could. And I'll just move on faster. By having a little bit uh, more optimism in me, a little bit uh, more positive mental attitude. I'm not saying I should stick my head in the sand and pretend like there aren't any facts in this world because there are. But I also don't think I need to to just be negative. It's never served me. Um, I sit with people every day in my coaching practice that really are just negative. And it's it, remember the negativity. I wouldn't argue it's a strength, because we we already know some data in in the happiness advantage, uh, a book that's out talking about the the power of happiness, um, is one of the data points shows that the most the most um, likely group of of professionals that are most likely to uh, go commit suicide and are the most miserable would be attorneys. And it's not because they're bad people. It's because their profession demands that they always look for the negative. So if you set your life up to constantly be gauging and trying to look for the negative, you will find an uglier life. Positivity is more about um, being able to see the, the rainbow, right? Being able to see the emergent property that comes out of the differences between tension and light. And our lives are all going to be filled with some form of tension, some some kind of uh, dark side and some positive side, some light side. And somewhere out of that comes a new reality. They call it an emergent property, right? It's something that didn't exist before. 
but sometimes you need the clouds and you need the storm and then you, and you need the rain and you need the sun. And when the three can combine, all this tension combines with light, it creates uh, something that didn't exist before. But that light can't come if you don't let it in. If you're not looking for the rainbow, if you're not looking for the opportunity on the other side of the pain, then um, it can be there. How many times have you driven down the road with rainbow up there and you're not even noticing it? And some of us notice it and we're like, eh, well, it's not. It's, only, it's really only two hues. Hmm. Okay, I mean, it's nice, but whatever. We're actually like we're not in awe of the fact that there is a rainbow. Yeah, it's just a rainbow. No, that means there's no more floods or whatever. So think about it. How effective are you at uh, not just protecting yourself from your cynicism? How effective are you at actually intentionally letting the light in? Everybody we want, I know, we don't want to be hurt. So it's very natural for us to, to not want to be hurt so badly that we just can't find the joy. But man, what happens to us as human beings if we could actually search out the joy? And everybody, every one of us today, just today, don't, don't do anything else, but just today, go try to find three blessings today. Three signs that God is good, that life is good. Just find them. Look for them. And then every day, just maybe try again tomorrow. Let's try, try, try to find three more. And then what's really fun is share those. Share those three joys, those three blessings. Share those. And, and then just see what happens. It's amazing what you'll find when you're looking for it. Powerful stuff. Hey, up next, we'll do a little, uh, give you guys, got a crazy update about uh, the importance of getting enough sleep and not sleepwalking. Plus, we'll do a little couples uh, counseling information from our own Leanna Tan. Welcome back. It's time for some empty news from Jeff Simpson. Jeffrey, have you ever sleepwalked or known anybody that is yeah, a sleepwalker? I have kids that are sleepwalkers. They can be dangerous, apparently. Scary. There's this guy in New York who tumbled six stories out of a Lower East Side apartment oh. window, oh. and he survived. So the man got up. Uh, he got up after the fact, but he did suffer a broken leg and rib and injuries to his back and torso. Wow. So he's 35. He works a day shift at an industrial site, and he's got a history of sleepwalking. And uh, the girlfriend told cops that he took her sleeping pills before hitting the sack. Yeah, no. Then around 5 a.m. Sunday, the man climbed out the eighth-floor window and fell onto scaffolding six stories below wearing nothing but boxers. Oh, he is lucky. That is so, so scary. So dangerous. Hey, now we want to give uh, Leanna Tan, one of our old producers. She's already retired from our business. And uh, she's done some extensive research on the importance of couples counseling. <laughs> started this job, they assigned me the third hour of the show, all about relationships and self-help. That means over these past three years, I've read dozens and dozens of books and articles and blogs on marriage and dating and getting along with your family. I've read so much advice from scholars around the world. Sometimes I think this job could certify me as a marriage counselor. Maybe I could start a side gig or something. So I had an idea. I decided to put my skills to the test and try out a little couples counseling of my own. And I knew just the couple to practice on. 
my roommates. Welcome to the Carly Show! Who's listening right now? Say hi! Yeah, we're gonna need some new wind socks on these. What's a wind sock? You gotta touch it. They protect from the spit. What happens if I yell? Should I Snapchat my grandpa? Oh yeah, I got it. This is social media material right here. Everybody smile. Hi! Should I recreate the sounds that Allie was making last night? I make I make stretching noises in the morning, you know, when you stretch and you're like... Well, if you were stretching at 2 a.m. How long have you guys known each other? Uh, Wait, are you recording? Because I'm nervous and a little sweaty. Okay, sorry. <laughs> the question was... <laughs> How long have you known each other? Oh, man. I have vivid memories of the sixth grade. So that's been like... How many years? Three? Yeah. So Carly, wow. Allie, you've known each other for ten years. Uh-huh. And I'm just a little concerned. Sometimes I come home, it's a little loud. There's slight contention, maybe a little bit of tears. And Allie pulls out the Nerf gun. I just want a little bit more harmony in the home. So I brought you two here for a little couples counseling. Yes! What in the world qualifies you for this? Okay, so I'm just going to ask you a few questions. So let's just get straight to the point. What are your main issues? <laughs> just Allie as a whole, really. For me, generally, it's the stench. <laughs> <laughs> hey, our room smells so bad. It does. But, like, I don't know why. It smells I, like milk or something. I think we like decompose at night. We? Yes. We. You, also I, went together. The thing is, when I when I climb that top bunk, I've got an oasis away from the smell. The smell kind I of radiates smell from your pillow. Bad. Let me tell you a little story. The entire year that we roomed together, Carly had these gray sheets. And a year after we'd lived together, um, she washed them. She's like, wow, this is really weird. These used to be light blue. So. The whole sheet with like a body shaped emphasis of Carly. That you just burped it. I thought you were starting a conversation, so I burped a little. Let me just ask you, Carly, when was the last time you cried? Like, it's, what is it? What time is it now? Like, yeah. Uh, can we, like, can we so. talk 20 minute increments? Okay, happy tears, spiritual tears. There are many different kinds. Are there? Uh, yes. Uh, that one took a while to figure Allie. out, actually. I used to panic every time she cried. <laughs> and then it turns out that they're not all bad. <laughs> That's la- Guys, last time I cried, Monday. What's today? Friday. It's Friday. <laughs> oh, Dina, you, you cried last cry night. More recently. You cried last night. We are the perfect opposite for each other. Allie is like a rock. When it comes to feelings, she just doesn't have them. I don't think that's fair to rocks. How do you feel love? Receiving Carly's love is like drinking from a fire hose. You get a little, but most of this hurts your face. Oh. <laughs> Allie, love is like little, you're like a little beaker. Your love is like, you like, I have to scientifically, logically think through this act of love and also look at my budget. Loving without a budget is not real love. I have real love and some cash. Okay. So what is it about your life together that makes you happy? <laughs> I like coming home and arguing. I like coming home and getting laughed at and having the bathroom door opened on me and making Allie mad. I, I like coming home and hearing all the embarrassing stories of that day in Carly's life. Because I feel like I walk around in my day, like through my day so dignified and just well composed. And then I get home and Carly's like, I got oh stuck my in goodness. my pants today. I got stuck in my pants. So if I understood correctly, what makes you happiest about the relationship is when Allie's angry, and <laughs> Allie's favorite thing is your embarrassment. Uh, yeah, yeah it's, sounds it's healthy it's to good. me. Yeah. What's something you'd like to do together that you've never done before? Skinny dipping. 
Haven't we done this? Live together? Yeah. Before? I'm going to live in her basement of her future home. We've actually planned this. Yeah. She'll be the emotional nurturing part of the relationship for the children, and I'll handle finances. There will always be a Carly and Ellie. I feel like I'm so satisfied with what we have now. I, I know, really. I need a whole lot more. Oh, wow. Wow, it sounds like this really worked. Yeah. <laughs> Your relationship sounds very strengthened. Mm-hmm. All thanks to you, Leanna. Wow. Yeah, you're welcome. Do you think this will lower the decibel of the nightly shenanigans? Oh, no. Let's sing a song. This is pretty. I'm turning off these mics. Bye. Well, that was a whirlwind. Doesn't look like my efforts will lessen the noise in my apartment, but I guess I do have the skills it takes, don't I? Glad I could put all those BuzzFeed articles to good use. But in the case of Allie and Carly, I think I'll let the professionals handle that one. Happy mediating, everyone. I'm Leanna Tan, and that's my little tangent. <laughs>